Hi, I'm Amy Steele. I am the biggest badass in the whole Friday the 13th franchise. Damn right. And you are listening to Alone in the Dark podcast. Good evening, ghouls. It is the Alone in the Dark podcast. We are at episode 59. And I joined. uh, Yeah, there he is. That is not Santa Claus. That is my faithful, ever faithful host, Mike. Oh, it is. Well, it's almost it's it's getting to be mid. It is. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that, Maddie? Because as I drive around, you know, I uh, I see a lot of Christmas lights out, you know, and it's. It seems to be everyone's sort of uh, tradition to start, I think, the week of Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving week, which we're in right now. How, what's your feelings on that? Yes. Like, what do you think? Listen, I'm I'm still in, I, you know, I can, listen, we're in Halloween mode all year, right? Pretty much, yeah. Technically, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think about that old Mamas and Papas song, man. All the leaves are brown, the sky is gray, you know, it's it's getting a little cooler out. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool with, I'm still in fall mode. I'm not in seasonal. Uh, yeah. You know, Christmas Christmas mode at all. Not with no, I love seeing all the orange lights still up and people that just sort of like take some of the Halloween stuff down but leave the like the Thanksgiving vibe, you know? Yes, and the pumpkins and the scarecrows. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all for that until, I, you know, once once Thanksgiving's over, I say go for it. You know what I mean? It's 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 fair game. But uh, but this week, it's nice to kind of see some of that harvest look going going around, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah. For yes. Sure. So this is... Uh, Speaking yeah. of harvest, mm-hmm. Mike... Um, you know, I know we have uh, some things we want to we want to sure. talk about, but that factors into one of the uh, watches that I. Um, oh yeah, yeah, watch yeah. That. What have you seen? So Shutter has had a really a bunch of great content. Oh lately. my god, amazing! But I had never seen uh, nineteen. I believe it's nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight's Hackle Lantern. <laughs> this movie, man! Oh my god! Uh, it is an original. It's a gem. It is an American original. <laughs> Listen, in, I guess it would be a gem to some people, and I certainly enjoyed it. I did. I really uh, did. I did mean, you? It, it was an yeah. It's an '80s film. The acting is not. Listen, it's it, there's some things about it that you could knock, but I felt like I went back in a time machine. Like I had fun with it in yeah. that way. I yeah. did. Um, you know, I, it's kind of predictable a little bit, but that's what I mean. '80s horror, man. It's it's just there's nothing like it, and I can't disparage or speak ill about any of these things to the point where i get like mad or upset like i was expecting some grand masterpiece it's called hackle for christ's sake <laughs> you know it, it lived up to my expectations which was barely any so i had fun you with know it, you i know? haven't seen it i think since you know back in the rental days but I, I just don't remember it being a movie that i i was like i need to remember this film <laughs> you know uh but i'll have to go back right. since it's on shutter it's that's an easy watch for sure you know it's just it's it's really shocking to me that Synapse or Vinegar Syndrome or even Arrow or somebody hasn't like put out a jacked version of this on Blu-ray. Really? Yeah, no, that that's surprising. You're sure there isn't one? I'm not sure, uh, but I haven't seen like I, at least I haven't seen any uh, grand edition when I'm when I'm perusing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for, for new buys. That is interesting. You know? Uh, did you see, I just saw it on there today, there's a new documentary um, called Leap of Faith, William oh, Freakin' on The, the Exorcist. One, yes, the Wilkie, 
I have that. I, I, I'm dying. Oh, I'm gonna. I might watch that when we're done. I know. Here. I got to see that. I was so excited because I love that that documentary series that you know that I tried to get you into. Cursed films. Uh, no, not no the uh, the podcast. I'm sorry, that documentary podcast. Uh, the one that the guy did on Jaws, and then um, oh oh inside. Yeah, yeah. you listen yeah. to that I'm, one, right? The inside of course. Inside the Exorcist. The Exorcist. That, Absolutely. That was amazing. I thought you didn't, but um. No, yeah, I did. Of that, course, that I did. was such a great, great series. That was amazing. So, uh, if people haven't listened to that and you're into The Exorcist, go go check that out. You know, anywhere podcasts can be heard. Yeah, but I mean, come on, William Freakin and an hour and hour and forty oh minute God. documentary. Yeah, yeah, we, we're oh, in. totally. We're so I can't in. wait. I love that. Just the whole behind the scenes. Speaking yeah. of, yeah. oh, speaking of which, um, on staying on Shutter, the Mortuary Collection. We didn't. I don't think we talked about that on um, on our podcast. Yet. No, maybe we talked about it on our Patreon. But that was wow. That was amazing. Yeah, that man. was really Just, well done. Right. So good. I mean, first of all, the old school anthology feel yes. of it, right? And I mean, the the fantastic wraparound. Oh, so, so good. Like I I was blown. And away. I remember, you know. Yes, I mean we listened to the. I, I think he was on some other podcast, and I was listening to him, and he really was talking about how he was laser focused on that wraparound before he even had any of the other stories. He wanted to make sure he developed, you know, a cohesive. Yeah, he kind of worked backwards, right? Yes, yeah, which yes. was really smart. And, the, and Mike, and the production value. It's like watching an Amblin movie, isn't it? It in parts really, with the way the camera beautiful. moves and stuff. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's impeccably shot like yeah really. it's it's movies like that that just you know you go through like these dry spells i feel like where there isn't a lot of good new horror out and you sort of like you sort of get down on horror right you know we've all been there but a movie like that comes out and you just get so revitalized into just feeling mm-hmm. the love of horror again you know it's just it's amazing yeah. yeah so yeah hats off to that whole production team and the director and the right it was fantastic yeah so if anybody hasn't seen the mortuary collection go check it out it it is it is a fun ride for sure did you get a chance to watch the creep show animated you know i started it i started it the other day i was doing something what was i doing i was doing something in my kitchen that was very kind of crafty um Mm -hmm. i forget what it was but now it's gonna bother me but that's just where my brain is right now but i was doing something crafty and i put it on in the background while i was doing this this crafty thing that i can't remember so it must have been that must have been but must have not been anything great but uh i put it on and i watched it for just a couple minutes and then i finished something i had to go do something else but uh, it was definitely interesting you know Uh, i was curious to hear your take on it just because i know you're such a huge fan of you know of of the creep show films obviously and and the comic book and stuff what what was your take on it did you really like it or yeah, I enjoy it. especially the first um the first segment was called Survivor Type and that's one of my favorite uh kind of really messed up stories from Skeleton Crew. Oh, cool. The short story collection. Yeah, I mean the guy gets marooned on a uh, um on an island, kind of like a, a la Castaway, yeah. you know. And he just has to resort because he just can't find anything to right. eat. Um and he's actually I don't know if he's pre-med. Yeah, I don't think he's a doctor, but he's pre-med and, and he's learning about, you know, how to properly uh kind of cut off some of his limbs possibly oh and feed himself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing though. I mean, it is just it's dark. I mean, it, but it 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 was kind of cool to watch it in an animated fashion, very unique. Wow. And the second one was very much uh a traditional. And Gre- I think that was Greg Nic- Nicotero's uh segment, the second one. I don't remember what it was called. It has a very long title. But it's like, you know, these people are on the back roads and they stop at this circus and obviously every, um and the girls like vlogging or She's like, a, I think she's a vlogger or something, and she's every minute has to be recorded of what she's seeing and uh-huh. doing. And of course, like the whole thing is actual actual zombies, like in a wow. show. <laughs> and yeah, so it's kind of cool. It's very traditional in a way, but uh, it, 
you know, it gets very gory, but it was That's cool. cool. I mean, I, the whole thing, I thought, you know, like this whole thing is 40 minutes, 44 minutes or something. Well, who would have thought that you, we would get a, another version of Creep Show? You know what I mean? In 2020. Like, that's yeah. awesome. No idea. That is so cool, yeah. you know? It's excellent. Um, what else, Matt? I think uh, we have a, a shout out to give to one of our newest Patreon subscribers, right? To Alan Brown. Yes, sir. So, Alan Brown, thank you for becoming a Patreon subscriber and supporting us. We really appreciate it. And we yeah. we had someone that came back, someone that had to leave Patreon for a little bit, but he jumped back in. So, our good buddy Michelle from Sweden, thank you. Oh, he's back, the man behind the he mask. He is. So, thank you so much. Great guitar player. Yeah. He's back. <laughs> amazing supporter of, of our podcast so thank you guys and thanks to everyone on patreon who's who uh, supports us and subscribes us i was just listening to our good friends john and jamie uh, on the uh, horror dads episode and they gave us a really nice plug about about our vincent drug t-shirt there one of, i think john was wearing it and they talked about it in length and we're saying how their kids they have young kids obviously and uh their kids are fascinated by the T-shirt. Adorable children. Yeah, and they're always pointing to the items on the T-shirt saying, what's that, Daddy? What's that? So it was just super oh. cute. But uh, thanks, guys, for uh, mentioning our T-shirt and being uh, big supporters of us and big, oh, you know, big the, the listeners. Biggest. And- I mean, listen, just huge hearts. Like, yeah. Just guys with big, giant hearts who really just kind of support and care about other people and perpetuate people's, uh, you know, stuff that they dig i mean those those guys are special no definitely you know? so go check out the horror dads podcast and they, they've been really into doing a lot of interviews lately which is which is kind of cool so they've got some great interviews on there they do a lot of interviews with like clothing designers and uh and directors yeah. of horror films and stuff so go check out horror dads if you want to give another horror podcast a listen um yeah mm-hmm. so Certainly. and one other thing matt we should mention is we haven't done this in a while but we you know a little plug for us is to to help to help us if you go to uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes and you give us a review that really gives us a, a, a gives us a lot of uh, help so I'd like to read uh, a, a review that just came out in October um, and this is from someone called uh, oh I know who this is this is a girl that we were talking to on Instagram that started following us her name is spoonful of horror she has a YouTube channel so check her YouTube channel yes, out she does but this yep. here's her review currently listening to episode 57 this is one podcast I can honestly say I enjoy this is also my first horror podcast thank you guys I'm going to listen to the rest of the episode starting tonight much love uh, very nice review, and she gives five awesome. stars. So um, we've said it before, but every time you guys give us a, a five star rating and a review, it helps us be found by other people. So if you like our podcast, consider leaving us a review or tell your friends who has like an Apple product. Hey, do you mind you know giving uh, my friends a, a, a you know our po- their podcast a review? Um, it really helps us. So we'd appreciate that. Awesome. That, that sounds great. All right, Matt. So why are we here tonight? Well, we are in a special, this is a special episode. It is. It's only the third one of these that we've Mm -hmm. done in our whole run. Um, And it's been about probably 18 months or more since we've done it. So we're definitely overdue for this. We've been talking about this for like the better part of a year. Yeah, we've been planning this one for a while. And it's a a tough one. So, yeah, it's a tough one. Listen, there's a ton of films that came out, but we we are hitting up the class it's a class of episode, and we are doing the class of 1981. Yes, amazing! Such a 
Yeah, lots of amazing films. Such yes, a, and we'll talk about some of those films. We're going to talk about them after, maybe, or you want to talk about them now? Yeah. So anybody who's anybody who's a brand new listener, if this is your first episode, let's say, uh, Mike and I are just going to highlight. We actually, there's so many movies that and, and great horror films that came out in 1981, but we're going to highlight five mm-hmm. of them specifically, um, and we're really going to kind of dive deep into those yep. five. And afterwards, we will definitely touch on some of the other ones, uh, just by name uh, that that came out that year as well. But um, a little bit of a new format change here, Mike, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, you came up with this great idea of sort of doing these these sort of talking points like we used to do on on right. uh, on Instagram, but it sort of categorizes each film, and we sort of cover the same sort of category, right? So we're gonna do we're gonna make a bold statement about the film, right? Yeah. We're gonna talk about yes, our most memorable scene. We're mm-hmm. going to mention our favorite character, and we're going to mention our favorite line, correct? Right. Yes. And Yes. And the scene, we're going to be a little generous with that. It could be scene or scenes if there are several. Okay. All right. Be- before warned, I did a cheat on that one. It's never just, <laughs> I tried to stick with a single scene, but for a couple of them, I had to indulge. Yes. So just, Excellent. You know, just allow me yeah. that. But uh, yeah, 1981, loaded. I can't wait to talk about some of the other films just briefly, but this was a really hard decision. Matt and I, you know, this isn't like a top five episode. Matt and I had to limit this to five films because otherwise right. we'd be here for four hours. You know what I mean? If we if we each had yep. five, you know, it would just be unbelievable. Which we wouldn't mind, but you no, know, No, we'd real. love that, but we don't want to bore you guys. <laughs> no. So let's get into this, Mike. Let us, are you ready for this? Or I'm what? ready, but one thing I want to say is uh, there is a new uh, video segment that I'm going to be posting as soon as this episode releases, and I'm doing this new thing called Drink of the Pod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I have a drink just in line for, for this podcast. So uh, look for it on Instagram, guys, and I'm going to post it on Facebook as well. So if you follow us on those avenues, uh, go check it out, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. You can make a drink that kind of is themed with this podcast. So, uh, Matt. And you will be, yeah. Mike, you will be doing that for each episode. Is yeah, that every episode forward? I'm going to do it. Every regular episode I'm going to kind of come up with a theme drink that, you know, that kind of works with the, uh, with the podcast. So I'm excited. It's like uh, I got my oh. drinking book out and I'm like, you know, got all my cocktail tools out and I'm getting creative, you know, so it's. Yeah, you're going to want to tune in for this, folks, because it, it is definitely worth it. It, for it, sure. it was fun. So, Matt, I'd like you to introduce each film if you don't mind. Oh, 100 percent. Right, so what do we got first, Matt? Okay, so released in on February 11th of 1981, it's My Bloody Valentine. In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick, my bloody Valentine. Now, Matt, you and I love this movie, right? <laughs> we do. We've danced around it here and there. We've definitely mentioned it on the thing, but we've never really dove kind of deep enough it, it, to my to my satisfaction. No, no, this like film. this this uh, this movie could could deserve a, an episode in itself. You know what I mean? Com- right. You know, based on our love of it. So I'm excited to talk about it. So what do you got, Matt? So for a bold statement, yeah. Mike, um, for this film, um, like I said, forget forget the fact that. It's the best Canadian slasher. <laughs> it is. For my money, for my money, how about My Bloody Valentine is one of, if not the best slasher ever made, period. Ooh. 
Now I'm talking, Mike. When you think of slashers, right? I mean, you think of like the really, you know, prestigious ones. We're talking about like Friday Four, right? Yes. I mean, that's like one of the greatest slashers ever, yeah. right? You put that up there. Yep. I I rank this film right up there with a Friday Part wow, Four. Wow, dude. Wow. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. And what is your what what's your argument, or what why do you think that? Like, so, well, what makes it one of the greatest slashers ever made, right? So there are a few of major factors that contribute to, obviously, this kind of, you know, maybe it's not such a bold statement, but to me, I think yeah. it is. Well, to some people, right? it might be, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, for sure, mm-hmm. right? So, like I said, there's a couple of things, but thing number one, like, I feel like we're talking about um, thing number one, <laughs> thing number two, what is that, the, uh, the Dr. Yeah. Seuss book, right? First of all, Mike, think about it. The infamous unrated cut that for yes. years, like I know the Lionsgate, did the Lions, by the way, you had the Lionsgate uh, release, which was like one of the first Blu-ray things to come out, like way back when Blu-rays came yes. out. Did that have the uncut version as well? I don't, I don't think it did. I don't think the first version did, but I could be wrong. Didn't the DVD release come, had it on it, but I don't know if the, I believe I so. I think the DVD did, and I think that first Blu-ray did not, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Okay. But Mike... So the new Scream Factory uh, that was released yes. in February, which is one of the most gorgeous releases, it's which beautiful. I've said on the podcast, that Scream Factory has ever released. Um, you know, film buffs, like I said, spent like 30 plus years trying to track this version down. And, and the censors, Mike, they may have had their way back in, in the day, yeah. right? Picking this film apart. Mm-hmm. And I'm slashing the film's gore scenes, pun absolutely intended. But director George Mahalka, Mike, he has had the final say because it's been fully restored to its former glory the way he intended yeah, it to be, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I think it has this mystique, but not only that, the, the unrated version lives up to the yeah. hype. Then again, and this is this is where the next two things, yes, you have the unrated thing, but these are the two things that really elevate this film. The authentic location. Yeah. it's The actual Sydney mines in Nova Scotia that were used, Yeah, right? weren't they like 200 and something... 250 feet underground or something like that it was forget it i think it's more like a thousand oh my if you want. gosh i mean but remember if you go back to folks if you go back to episode three where we talk to neil afleck yes. who was axel from the film he, he goes into great detail uh, in painstaking detail it's beautifully told by yeah. him talking about the mines and um yeah. you know kind of a little bit of like a history lesson it's like you know papa papa axel's teaching us all you know a history oh my god yeah us, to a history get class. someone who was there you know making it I mean, Mike, this was not a set, folks. We like, like Mike was saying, this is the real deal. I mean, the crew, and I'm not kidding, they shot scenes like literally a thousand feet in the bowels of the earth. It's it's it's, it's astounding. Yeah, to me. and I remember he was saying something about they couldn't use certain lights because it could trigger off the gas and cause an explosion. Correct. Like just really scary stuff. They were risking their lives being down there filming this filming this movie. And it pays off. Every minute of it pays oh, off. It's so authentic. So then you, okay, so you have the unrated version, mm-hmm. you have this authentic location. Now, what about the real lived-in performances in this movie? Yeah. I mean, the main characters, might they feel like locals, every one of them. I never feel like I'm watching actors pretending. Like, I, could, I buy that Axel, TJ, Hollis, and the rest are these young miners that are carving out their lives in this mining town. It just feels so blue-collar. It really does. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of authenticity... And let's face it, Mike, realism is something rarely, if ever, discussed in reference to horror, mm-hmm. especially the characters in horror I film, know. right? I mean, do we ever even go near the word authentic or authenticity? <laughs> Usually, if something's referred to as being realistic, you're talking about the special effects, yep. not the people, mm-hmm. right? They're the cardboard, and 
and the other stuff is is the the realism but that's what makes that's that's really what pushes this film over the top and makes it so special and rare yeah, of a film no it's an amazing one for sure so um, before we get into all the other stuff, I mean, what is your uh, bold statement oh, well, about this film? My bold statement, Matt, is this is this is not a horror film. This is actually a quirky romance in disguise. Wow, <laughs> that is bold. I gotta tell you, so that is bold. <laughs> this is this is more of <laughs> was not expecting that, Mike. There's a twist. <laughs> this is more of a story about two guys fighting over the same girl and who gets her in oh, the end. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. If you think about it, every time Axel and TJ are on camera. The focus is solely on Sarah and their fight to see who who's going to win her heart. Yes, Maddie. When when you think of Valentine's Day, what color do you think of? Red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what color? Pink. Do, well, do you know what color is a lighter shade of red? You just Pink? you just said it. Yeah. This movie could have been called Pretty in a Lighter Shade of Red. <laughs> could wow, have been just Mike. like Pretty in Pink from the eighties. You know, it's like. Uh, Hey, I feel like it's the same movie. It's like a it's like a a romance comedy in disguise, you know. So who's James Spader and who's um, Andrew McCarthy? That's a good question. <laughs> I would say no. I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I I don't know. I was, well, I guess I guess I guess uh, Axel would be Spader. Yeah, right? Axel would be Spader, and yeah, TJ would be uh, McCarthy for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're calling it. Listen, we had to finish that thought. You couldn't just abandon it because we're not talking about horror films. No. It's all tying no. in. No. Yeah, it all ties but in. But it's it really is. I really do feel like it's, if you think about it, it's really a romance, you know what I mean? With the disguise of being a horror film, a slasher, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's adorable. It's sweet. Yeah, all those things. Okay. <laughs> all right. So what are we moving on to? Memorable scene? Memorable scene. All right. Mike. Let's hear yours, Matt. All right. Well, for me, um, and I'm a sick bastard, I guess, for, for picking this. But John, John, when John discovers Sylvia dead in the shower room, <laughs> Mike, it's the creepiest goddamn thing. Like the way it's so beautifully photographed by the cinematographer Rodney Gibbons, like, yeah. and choreographed by George Mahalko, the director. She's basically, and I know I'm going to glorify this, but just to describe it she's basically impaled on a pipe that yes. goes through the back of her yes. head and like the water the water is streaming through her mouth oh my god in the front it's, yeah i mean and she's like some human fountain and this is one of the cut scenes where they added more stuff they added more yes they, it was it. it was more more of the scene yes but it, it, she's like basically they turn her into this human fountain yeah it's unforgettable and it's so goddamn disturbing this is my memorable really, scene too maddie is yeah, it really it is. we picked the same one yeah i mean Again, you really feel the kills in this film and, and also the terror of the characters. Like, John, imagine, dis- I mean, when he discovers this and the aftermath, like, it just, you're just like, damn, I would react the same. Like, there's there's no falsity. There's nothing that rings false at all about any no, of it. No, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, the one thing I made a note of, I think there's a huge, I think uh, Kevin Williamson was really influenced in I Know What You Did Last Summer in the, uh, oh, the Shivers Department Store scene when uh, when the miners keep dropping from the ceiling. Uh, like the yes. coveralls keep dropping, like that's totally reminded me when, oh, when Helen's walking through and all the mannequins right. are covered in plastic. Um, has that vibe to me for sure, and that's one of the reasons why. Absolutely, I it. yeah, good call. Yeah, yeah, good call. It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a freaky scene. Doesn't um, doesn't haunt have something like that as well? Yeah, I think that it does. To if as 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 you mentioned it, yeah, I'm pretty sure there is something. Very similar. Yeah, that's to something that. else I've seen recently. I really enjoyed that film as yeah, well. Yeah, that was way. another you told good me, one. You told me to watch that. Yeah, yeah that's a very that's good film. That's on Shutter as well. So check that. One so out. Yeah. Um, I got. I can't believe that we didn't even compare no, these things at we all. No, so it's it's neat that we ended up with the same 
uh, memorable yeah, scene. Yeah, as soon as you said John, I was like, oh, here we go. I picked it too. <laughs> All right. So favorite character, yeah. Mike, moving on mm-hmm. here. It's no surprise, I think. What, my favorite character by a million miles okay. is Keith Knight's, Keith Knight's Hollis. Okay, good. Is my favorite right. character. Without a doubt. I mean, probably, and I'm going to say this, this might be, might be another bold statement, I don't know, but this <laughs> he might be the most realistic genre performance maybe ever this guy gives in this movie. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, seriously, like, you know how slashers work, Mike. You set up a bunch of horny, misguided youths, and you cheer and you ki- as the killer disposes them of them one by yes. one. That's how it, it works, mm-hmm. right? You know, color by numbers, murder by numbers. I was I was crushed, though, when Hollis dies. Yeah, it's really I, sad. I feel like I just lost my best buddy, like like an honorable, moral man with hopes and dreams, like a real flesh and blood, you know, fleshed out character. And I mean, when's the last time you could say that about a male character in a horror movie? Yeah, I know. Right? I know. When's the last time you could say that? They're idiots. I mean, right? I mean, if you think back, I'd say females are really, yes, they were exploited to a certain extent and their bodies were definitely showcased and it was the male gaze and all those things but when you think about character i mean when you jump to sydney prescott and and uh laurie strode and you're thinking strong female characters right i mean then think about bob right yep fucking idiot gets nailed to the wall (laughs) and 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 who thought twice about it right nobody cared i mean you know paul on the other end of the line talking to annie you know just a horny dude on the other end of the line just trying to get laid like these are these are the normal guys then you have hollis mike he's this honorable dude breaking up fights doesn't want to see his friends fighting. Yeah, really loves this girl so much. He's he's a little doesn't treat her a like, little goofy too, right? He's just, yeah, he is goofy, yeah. but he doesn't object. He doesn't objectify his mate either, the way that TJ and Axel kind of treat her like a like 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 they're two cats chasing after a a, a chew toy. Right, right, right. They, like a, that's how they treat her. They do. Sarah, whatever her name is. And meanwhile, he he's just he's all dignified and. And just respectful, and I just, I just, I, I mean, I can't. With sadness, humor, and honor, and honor, Keith Knight will forever, Mike, live on in the body, the bloody hearts of horror fans for years to come. I can't say. I just hope nobody ever forgets this guy because he's passed away, and you know, um, a while ago, and it's sad that we lost this to him. But we have his work in this film forever, and I'm, I'm just grateful for yeah, it. Yeah, no, he's he's great. He's a he's a fun loving character in this movie for sure. Who do you have for favorite character or favorite? Actor? I pick TJ. I just I think he's awesome, man. He's just such a I just love yeah. he's like the guy that comes back into town. It's like that character we always talk about, you know, like a stranger in a in a strange land, but he's coming back home, you know? Yes. That's the other character mm-hmm. I like, a character that comes back home. Um he he A la Glory Days on TV. Yes, and Kevin yeah, the show, the show that yeah, we're always pushing that no one's ever seen. Glory Days, Kevin Williamson's show that briefly yep. had a CW release, right? For of course, three quarters of a season, but anyway, um, TJ, he just like he knows how to wear denim right, you know. I'm a big fashion guy, (laughs) (laughs) he just knows how to wear that denim on denim and look cool wearing plaid jackets and stuff. And yeah, (laughs) definitely. And he he also knows how to romance a girl, you know, by by ripping her from her workplace and throwing her in a car and taking her to like a cold waterfront with literally no beautiful landscape anywhere to be seen. That Mike, he, he knows how to work that accent on her too. He does. He? he really does. He he lays that Canadian accent. You know, we talk about Tom Matthews with his accent, even though he's probably not Canadian, but even though he's California. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, TJ, sure. man, for sure. It's very uh we get a lot of those aboots and you know, like uh we get, we get a lot of that Canadian drawl, you know. Oh yeah, he's fantastic though. You're right. No, he's great. But go back and watch that scene where he's talking to uh to Sarah by the waterfront. It's like the most 
unappealing waterfront scene I've ever seen. It's so drab and gray and well, but 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 doesn't it speak to the life? And the realism of the film. It does. No, it that. does. It just always makes me laugh. There's nothing for them there, and that's all they have. Yeah. Like I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but that's a big under. That's another thing. It, this movie, you, you know, we were joking before and everything, um, and I said it's one of the best slashers. And it's certainly, it acquits itself very well as a beautiful slasher, but it's a drama too. It really like, is. It really is. Yeah, it is. You know, it's like a, it's an officer and a gentleman almost. It's like this. It's a romance drama. Otherworldly. Sp- <laughs> No, I mean like a small town <laughs> I know, I know. that people feel trapped in, you know, like, you know, the you know, the girl feels um, you know, trapped and she wants to get out of the town, yeah. you know. But um so I mean, so it leads into the favorite line, which okay. is when Hollis tells TJ, and it's kind of going right along with it, that's why I was kinda of rolling on okay. here. Okay. When after Axel and TJ kind of have a little tiff or whatever, and, and Hollis goes, Man, you're kinda of hard on Axel, and TJ says, Well, it's not his fault. I really like the son of a bitch. Remember how we used to tear this place apart? Yeah. I guess he goes. I guess things change, huh? <laughs> Nothing stays the same. That's yeah, what he says. Yeah. Like it's such like a small town like, kind of. Yeah, yeah, man, it's a beautifully written line, and it maybe they thought of it as throwaway, but but there's like such pathos in that line and irony, like total nostalgia and melancholy, like at the same time. TJ's lamenting the loss of his innocence, yeah. like in his youth, right? He's talking about how things have passed him by in his former life with Sarah before he, you know, he went and blew it and left. Yep. But the but the ironic part is now, now that's all he has to look forward to is the mine yes. day after day yeah. and the crumbling inevitability of being stuck in Valentine Bluffs, yep, right? absolutely. So nothing stays the same, and yet the same is all that's left for them. Right. It's terribly sad. Yeah. It's terribly it sad. It is kind of sad. Oh, my favorite line, Matt, is from our good buddy Axel, Neil Fleck. Okay. And it's at the very end of the film where he's in the mine and they're... He's kind oh, of I know where he's you're going. plummaging down deeper and deeper into into the depths of the mine and we don't know if he's ever going to be caught and he gives us that classic Sarah be my bloody valentine. That's the end end. Yeah, yeah. About. That's after after his arm gets ripped off and he and he you know he escapes. Yeah, he escapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he says yep. daddy's gone away. Harry Warden made you pay. I just love that. It's just so creepy, you know, because the, oh, the way he, yeah. the way he delivers the line is just very disturbing. It's it's super super creepy, but it just shows. No, it's great. Just goes with his character how twisted he was in the end. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Yeah. So that's my favorite line. But what what an amazing film. Love this movie so much. Yeah. So everyone, if you haven't already done it, the recent Scream Factory Collector's Edition should actually help to solidify the legacy of this beautifully made film and remind people why we're still talking about it. Literally. It'll be 40 years um, in February. Wow, yeah. So everyone go out. And that's how both of us, both of us uh, watched it this time yep. around, right? You watched it on... Yeah, so I, I strongly recommend everyone get the uh, Scream Factory Blue for this. It's good. And I think... Is it on Shutter? I'm pretty sure it's on Shutter right now. Or maybe... maybe Not sure if it's on no, Shutter. No, maybe it's not. maybe it's on Amazon. It's on something. It's on something. While we're talking, I'll see if I look it up and mention it at the end if I remember. But anyway. Okay. All right, Matt. So that was, uh, that was My Bloody Valentine. What else are we talking about? Well, the next film that we'll be discussing, Mike, came out on April the 15th, Tax Day in 1981. And that film is called The Evil Dead. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected is sure to come calling for me. It was the woods themselves. They're alive. Evil Dead. They got a 
up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Mike, now, come on, Mike. <laughs> the Evil Dead. Yeah. We are going to have, I think there's going to be some fighting words going I on. Uh, I, have a, I just have a strange feeling we're, we're not going to agree so much on this movie. Maybe not. We'll see. Let's Let's get there. <laughs> my bold statement already i think is going to infuriate you but it's going um, to infuriate me oh okay maybe possibly mm-hmm. um this is the best debut film by a horror director it's uh i would agree with you there for sure it really is it is it is over the top as far as cinematography right by tim fillo right is that his name yes, yes. who's like i think it was like his uh sam rainey's like uh College buddy, right? Film school buddy. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love those stories, man. When you have these guys and their buddies, you know, yeah. that 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 go to film school and they're just like they're just just shooting from the hip, man. Just they're so passionate about making it, and they just they're fired they up, this right? Grand yeah. vision. Yeah, and they have this beautiful vision. They don't have the money, obviously. In the Evil Dead, they don't have the money. No. What did they spend on this? I think they had some money, Matt, because it was like ninety thousand bucks or something, or was it fifty thousand? I can't remember, but they had money. You know, they definitely got some money. Well, if you think that's a lot of money, dude, I mean, uh, well, I'm saying if, you know, you know if you gave me $50,000, I would say it's a lot of money, but yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, shooting on film with some of the, with some of the stunts and the, and the effects and things that they wanted to, he wanted to pull off in this movie that they did pull off, I should say. Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. So, um, what is your bold statement on this one, Mike? My bold statement, Matt, um, I, I just, I feel like Sam Raimi at this part in his life had an issue with women. Wow. I think well, yeah. Ju- justify that, please. Well, it's it's. I've kind of read some articles about it, and I really started to think, and I, I agreed with it. Um, there's just a lot of of you know degre- degradation, de- what degradation, degradation yeah. of women in this film. It's very, hmm. uh, it's just punishing. Like he he punishes the women way more than you know he punishes the men. Um, you know, Scott does get hurt in the end, and obviously. You know, our main character gets hurt, like, you know, big time. But these women get tortured, tortured, tortured. And you think there's something to the fact that the one as a demon is, like, in the basement. Like, she's trapped, like, and just, like, almost like they they threw her down there. Well, yeah, they threw her. Yeah, they keep her down there. But, yeah, Cheryl, you know, uh, she investigates strange noises. And she's attacked and raped by a demonically possessed trees, right? She's, she's. Oh, yep. Shelly becomes a deadite and attacks Scott before he manages to throw her in the fireplace, <laughs> throw oh, her yeah. in the fireplace. Yeah, it's it's very stark and, and upfront about the violence for sure. Yeah. And Scott goes on to dismember her with an axe and buries buries her remains, um, you know, and, and and Ash and his girlfriend, Linda, you know, and he's just stabbing her with the, the, the Sumerian dagger. Um <laughs> unwilling to just listen just listen did you ever think you would ever say that sentence no, in your life never never <laughs> okay um he can't dismember her so he buries her instead <laughs> um she revives and attacks him forcing him to decapitate her with a shovel yes, can you imagine amazing scene. how to get to get to tap decapitated by a shovel um so I, I just feel like the torture and the torment of these women, even though, you know, obviously they're possessed. Um, I just yeah, I just think he had he had an issue with women. Maybe maybe he had a bad breakup or something. He was taking out some issues. Who knows? But that it could be. That's my bold statement, Matt. 
All right. I listen. We got to be bold. So I'm, I'm like, I like that you brought up something that I wasn't really thinking about, and that's that's something that to open our eyes to and think about is maybe subtext. You know, you never know. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. Yeah. What's yours? So Mike, but but think. Well, I, I gave mine. It's that this is the best debut film by heart. Oh, okay, okay. I got it. So think about it. Thirty seconds in, and the camera POV is already this malevolent evil, like it's speeding towards some unsuspecting cast oh, of characters such a we haven't cool even shot. met yeah. yet, right? Over the leaves and everything through the forest. It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And the camera in this movie, Mike, as you as you kind of hinted at and mentioned, it's it's unrelenting throughout the film. Like the Evil Dead, obviously, is audaciously cinematic. The whole entire, it, to me, when I was watching this, it reminded me of like the Coen Brothers must have watched this like right before they filmed like Raising Arizona because it has that same manic camera. You know what I mean? Have you watched Raising Arizona recently? Oh, not recently, but I I, I know the film very well. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, man, some of these, some of the dolly, the quick dolly shots and the crazy ass camera movement, it's very much, uh, you know, they stole several of the fast tracking shots, I think, directly from the Well, film, Matt, if you, ask me. you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. The Coens and Sam Raimi were friends. Yes, I, I do know that they, uh, they, they swam in, in the same, you know, pool in the same circle of people, but. Um, but jo- you know, Joel Cohen is credited as an assistant film editor for this film. On this on this movie, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so you are right, man. Oh. They were oh, they wow, were studying this no and studying Sam and saying, "Wow, what can we what can we take for this from our, from our filmography for sure?" Well, they took the right stuff. Let me tell they you, they did. But the other thing is, like with this mania that they, I mean, the film seems to be improvising, doesn't it? In a way, like it's flying by the seat of its pants. It seems like yeah. But it, but it, at the same time, you would think there's there's a lot of room for error when you do something like that. But to me, it gets a lot of it right. Um, it's got humongous, humongous balls. Um, it takes huge risks and rewards the audience. The rewards are substantial, I think, for the audience. Like the fact that you can just try things that Sam Raimi is doing in this movie and even succeed moderately, to me, it's just going to reap nothing but dividends for the audience. The audience is just going to revel in this and enjoy it. Right, right. Uh, I'm not sure continuing that any horror film like has ever been this cinematic I, I really don't know i guess another bold statement i suppose mm. but sam raymond his crew they just they they aren't just film nerds showing off like normally that's what i think of when somebody wants to kind of like oh look at me moving my camera look at me i never felt that way in this movie no i, I, I would agree i don't think I, yeah i mean i don't think they're basking in self-indulgence just for the sake of being flashy you know and hip like they're cool they're calculated and they're just wildly talented artists like just ingenious pioneers, if you think about it, right? And super, they're creating cinematic history, like frame by frame, one inspired shot at a time, right? Right, and super creative with their shots, as you know, too. They would they created things, you know, like the, I know the shots where they're running through the forest. They would mount the camera to like a, a two by four, and two Crazy. two members would would hold the ends and just run through the forest, right? So they they couldn't afford a steady cam, so they had to sort of figure something else out, you know. So oh, and they figured it out. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it's it's amazing, good stuff. So what's your memorable scene from this, Mike, from The Evil Dead? Uh, my memorable scene, I, I love when um, when Ash, uh, when Scott is sort of possessed and Ash g- uh, gouges Scott's eyes out and pulls a tree branch from Scott's stomach, causing him to bleed <laughs> out and fall to the ground. I just love the effect of that. It's just, it's really creative and it's just, it's really brutal. You know what I mean? It's super, <laughs> super brutal. Um, but it's, uh, to me that, that stood out, you know, I think I mentioned to you when we were, when we were kind of finalizing our notes and talking about what we're going to talk about tonight, I rewatched this film and it, it, it didn't live up for me as much as evil dead two did. And I, I think a lot of people would agree with me there, uh, between the two films that they had to, uh, to pick, 
they would go Evil Dead too. So uh, there wasn't a ton of scenes that really. It's the safer choice, Mike. It, if I can insert that, I think it's the safer choice because Evil Dead Two definitely has the more of the sense of humor, and definitely they took the template for this film really and kind of improved upon it, right. if you will. Right. But I, I I don't know that I totally agree with that. Yeah. But I definitely I've definitely seen Evil Dead Two more and nostalgia. And rewatch probably has me saying that Evil Dead Two, not the better film, but I've rewatched it more and certainly has a higher rewatchability factor. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. definitely there there there's definitely a lot of fun scenes in this film. Don't get me wrong, um, mm-hmm. but the but with Scott when Scott gets that tree branch pulled out of his stomach, um, <laughs> I was just like, holy shit! You know how did they pull this off? You know what I mean? It was just really stood out to me. So that's my memorable yeah. scene, Matt. What what's yours? So. You mentioned the tree rape scene, and it's Oof. it is truly truly memorable uh, in a very I wish I could unsee it way, right? Yep. Um, very disturbing, but I'm not gonna actually pick that one. I'm actually gonna pick the scene where, and you mentioned this before too already, <laughs> where Ash is beating Linda with what seems to be like a railroad tie or something. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but it seems like he found a railroad tie. Yeah. And he's he's quite uh, strong if you can swing that around as a, as as, de- as adeptly as he's swinging it around. <laughs> but she's. The way she's giggling hysterically and mocking him. Oh, my gosh. And she finally lifts him off the ground as he holds on to the huge tie, and she tosses him aside. Do you remember the scene? Yes. Then she gets airborne, of course, (laughs) in this ridiculous sequence, and flies at him. And this is what I'm talking about, these these huge swings that that Raimi and his crew were taking with these these scenes. So he grabs the shovel, of course, and, and, as you said, decapitates Linda. Her head lands several feet away, Mike, and he's screaming as what happens, of course, <laughs> in a very Laurel and Hardy slash, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton way. Her headless corpse lands right on him and proceeds to bleed out all over Ash's oh, face. Gosh. <laughs> the amount of blood. And in it this just movie. and it just doesn't stop. It does. Like, right? Yeah. So much blood. Uh, and then and, and Linda's head starts moaning oh, my as gosh. her headless body. And Mike, by the way, I don't know how carefully you watched it, but her Headless body is grinding on ash. Is it really? Like it really is. I swear to God, I'm not kidding. Ugh. She's moaning like, eh, like she's simulating like the sexual thing, and she's her head is doing that, and meanwhile the body's grinding on ash. It is disturbing. That's man. very disturbing. So that's my scene, uh, Mike. Also, I don't know how I know how much you like callback scenes. We talk about callback scenes all the time, mm-hmm. right? Well, how you set something up in the beginning, and then you, you know you have the payoff or the callback yeah. at the end. And this film has one of the great ones. Remember when Ash earlier is pretending to sleep as Linda reaches for the jewelry box on his lap? Yes. Yeah, for like, so she keeps looking to see if he's watching her and he's always shutting his eyes like just in time, right? Yep. So later, of course, when he's going to bury her, she opens her eyes and it's a beautiful reversal of that earlier scene if you think about it, right? Because <laughs> now he's trying to catch her still be alive Yep. and she's pretending to be dead Yeah. like every time he looks at her. So it's that beautiful juxtaposition and that callback but in such a creative funny but dark way you know yeah no that's i just really i just really love that that's a funny one that leads into my favorite character matt linda is my favorite character oh okay (laughs) i just uh i love that i like her more when she becomes possessed obviously because of the joy we get out of her she she just becomes this happy (laughs) joyous giddy school girl she she really does you know and and she'll do she'll do anything to climb right into your soul and and you know kind of take you away and kill you you know but there's so many scenes with her where it's almost the comedy lives up more than the horror you know with linda 
um, she brings us more happy and joy. I feel like, um, you know, whether she's decapitated and, and a body's humping your leg or <laughs> she's, you know, she's, she's talking to you like a, like a little schoolgirl, you know, begging you, uh, singing, oh. singing songs to you, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute. <laughs> I know she's almost sounds like a Mickey mouse character or something. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So, so Linda's my favorite character, Matt, who's yours? Well, I almost went, and it's a close second. I almost went with, it's funny, you picked a woman. I definitely did. I I, I almost had Cheryl, right. the one in the basement, because she's so much fun, too. Yeah. Like, she's gleefully torturing, mentally torturing Ash. Yep. And what's the other guy's name? Um, Scott. Steve. Scott, sorry. Like, she is just torment, and the, she's tormenting the other girl, uh, that Linda, too, yep. that's up there, and until, obviously, they're both these demons. But I had to go with Bruce Campbell as Ash. Yeah. I mean, I can't not talk about the Evil Dead and not talk about Bruce Campbell and just, you know, this was the laying the groundwork for this this iconic, really this iconic horror character that he took on, and this persona almost that he has, yep. right? This over the topness, and even though he's more controlled in this movie, but as I say that, I think about <laughs> every time he gets thrown by a demon in, into something, like he ends up grabbing that and dragging it and it falls on top of him it's the most it's the most hysterical shit you ever seen but watch it next time he gets thrown into like this giant bookshelf and he drags the whole thing and it just falls on he's like oh and my like, god it's hysterical man it's so great i love it i love it so that's my uh bruce uh, campbell's ash is my favorite so now we're at this favorite line mike what's your favorite line well, in the evil dead well my favorite line led right from my favorite character and that's Linda when she she's singing to to Ash, and she's singing, "We're going to get you, oh, we're yeah. going to get you, not another peep. Time to go to sleep." sleep. Oh, it's so scary, yes, yeah, freaky as hell. But she really is like like you know like I said, just like a like a flirty little giddy schoolgirl, you know, trying to get Ash's attention and and you know, kind of teasing him and, and kind of messing with his head, you know, which he does so well. It's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. So that's uh, that's my favorite line, man. What's yours? I love that. That's great. Mine, I took a, I, I took uh, Shelly's line when she says, look at her eyes. Look at her eyes. For God's sake, what happened to her eyes? Like, it's so, <laughs> to me, I'm like, oh, my God, man. That's like, that's really like grabbing hold of your throat. Like, <laughs> like there's something really wrong here. Oh, my gosh. Like, and, and you better pay attention because it's only going to get worse. <laughs> that's a good one. You probably assume that since I picked Ash, it would be some, like, hilarious quip. But remember, this is not... This, that's the sequel, Mike. Yeah, he, you know, he, he's not playing Buster Keaton in this film right, at all. Right. Like you may, you may chuckle in spite of yourself a few times. Like I said, him like getting thrown into the bookshelf and just go ah, and like grabbing <laughs> it, and it's falling on. Th- it's hysterical, right? <laughs> but it's only a brief catharsis, though, from the bottled up sense of dread that you're living with as this all unfolds, Mike. This is a balls to the wall horror film, not the sequels like a horror comedy. Keep your skin on. We'll be right back. The Alone in the Dark Patreon is the destination to get more of your favorite horror podcasts. Join us for a nostalgic journey through horror, where we offer bonus podcast episodes every month, in addition to video segments like Off the Shelf, where Maddie dusts off a horror book from his collection. And On the Record, where Mike drops the needle on some of his favorite horror records. Besides our bonus content, we also offer perks like coffee mugs and teas, so head on over to patreon.com slash alone in the dark podcast to see what you're missing. 
So Matt, we are back and we are ready to talk about our third film that we chose for the class of 81. And what film is that going to be, Matt? Okay, released on April the 30th, 15 days after, uh, two weeks after The Evil Dead came out on April 30th, slash May 1st, Friday the 13th, part two. Friday, the 13th, 1980, was a very unlucky day for the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake. The girl who survived that night disappeared 12 months later, vanished on Friday, the 13th, 1981. The body count continues. Friday, the 13th, part two, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Now, we just talked about this film when we did our Patreon episode where we ranked the Friday the 13th films, right, for uh, our yep. special Friday the 13th release. Uh, this is a film that you and I both really, really love. It's a, it's a fun movie. So, Matt, I would love to hear what your bold statement is first. I don't know how bold it is now looking at it. Um, I've but got I'm, such a bold one for you. You're gonna. Oh, good. You're going to love mine. It's going to be a real surprise. Oh, good. Then I'm glad I'm leading because yeah. yours will be much better. No, stop. Um, so I'm going to say my right now, my apologies to Sidney Prescott, Laurie Strode, Nancy Thompson, and on and on and on. Ginny is the best final girl in, in, in all of horror. You've said that before, so it's definitely not a bold statement. But um, but, but come on, but Laurie Strode, dude. I know, I, mean, I know. Think about, this, I know. think about the names. Sidney Prescott from Scream. I, I, I mean, think about those names. Yeah, there are some people I'm that saying would, that, would I'm fight saying with that you. little Ginny mm-hmm. from Friday 2, man, yeah. is Amy Steele. trumps them all, dude. She's great, man. She's amazing. She really is. So what is what is yours? Oh, you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> or am I? This is a very Kevin Williamson statement. This movie would have been a better film if you found out that Paul and Ted were working together to be the killer. Now, I know we see I know we see Jason's face at the end, right? Mm-hmm. But it could have been a mask. It could have been a fake mask. And it could have been Paul and Ted all along. Think about it. Anytime Ted Ted doesn't die. Ted doesn't die, and you don't know what happens to him. And you would. So you think Ted's attacking him? Who's in this fucking room? You think that's Ted attacking Paul and like faking it? Like it could be. They could just be playing it out, just so other people would would you know would move away from the scent. You know, I I just I just think that. Wow, dude, you're dropping bomb here. This could be this would be a better film if you found out it was two killers and it wasn't Jason at all. You know, I'm going. Kevin Williamson would be out of business, dude, because this would be the prototype for Scream. This would be the progenitor right here. It would have been right if you think about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I just think you're going from part one, right, where you you know there was a little boy, but you don't know. You think he died, right? Everyone thinks he died. So part two, how cool would that be if it wasn't Mrs. Voorhees? She's long gone, but these two characters kind of work together. I don't know what the yep. I don't know what the plot would be. I'm trying to think what the motivation. So Jason's definitely Jason actually is dead. Jason, there is no Jason. He died in the mm-hmm. water. But these two Correct. come back. Maybe Ginny's. I don't know. Maybe Ginny's uh, dad screwed their both their moms or something. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm trying to think what Williamson would do, but I just think uh, that would have been a cooler ending. You know, give it a, a super twist like that. You know. Yeah, but uh, I'm listen. I I think that's that's awesome. I'm so glad you brought up something so weirdly bold in a way. <laughs> well, you said make a bold no. statement. I said what? No, what would be for bold? sure. Listen, you went you went for it. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you went for it. I I um yes, boss. I just. 
Yes, boss. Yes, boss. <laughs> yeah, so I am the boss in this case. You uh, are. You are. <laughs> I, I, that's that's interesting, but yeah. I definitely. Again, you. I I almost think you did it so you could mention Kevin Williamson because you can't go an episode without <laughs> mentioning Kevin Williamson at least a dozen times. That's true. That's true. As I'm <laughs> sitting here staring at my screen poster, sitting with my dummy dressed as Ghostface. Uh, what else do I have in the room? There's like four ghost face masks, a stab poster. Yeah, there's a lot going on right here, Matt. There's a lot going on. There um, is. Yeah, so memorable scene you want to get to? Well, I want to get a little bit more here. Like this film, like it introduced us. It's funny you say the double killer and everything, but this film introduced us to Jason. Yeah, I mean, beloved I yeah. Jason Voorhees. Yes. Um, bag-headed Jason, yes. mind you. Animalistic Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason in the woods, in the dwelling, shed. The, yeah, the woods dwelling feral animal that is Jason, right? Yeah. There's so much to admire, like Steve Miner's direction, the camp setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Paul, Ted, Mark, Jeff, Sandra, and of course, as I previously stated, best final girl, Ginny. Yeah, Ginny's amazing. This is the Friday film, like where the guy in the wheelchair is actually the coolest guy in the room. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, Mark, right? Yeah, Mark's pretty amazing. The handy, capable, wheelchair-bound stud who is the anti-Franklin from Chainsaw Massacre. Think about it. That guy's the whiniest goddamn victim you ever saw. Mark is the uh, is the antithesis of Franklin from Ch- Texas Chainsaw. He's charming. He's strong. He's confident. Fully functioning love pistol is cocked-loaded and aimed right at Smith and Vicky. Right? Yeah. Of course, raising him... To that status also meant that Mark was fair game, and boy, does he get his... Um, oh, my God. You know, he, f- he flirted hard, and he died harder, Mike. He did. He did. Absolutely. But this is also the Friday film where Ginny shows all the final girls how it's done. She runs. Um, she, you know, she fights. She, she pees. She uses strategy. Yeah, she pees, right? She pees I mean, she under pretends the bed. to be Miss Voorhees. Come on, it's brilliant. Yeah, and she figures that out, right? You know, she puts that out there, and, you know... Let's uh, little Tommy later figure Listen, it out. Listen, Mike, too. wouldn't I just think this is this movie had the balls to say, you know what? Somebody would piss themselves in the circumstances. Like no other film does that. Like what other film do you know where somebody urinate? Like there's a couple, but this one like puts it right out in the open as a memorable scene. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yep. And if you add also the bizarre anomaly that, as we said before, like the character of Ted actually survives the mix. This qualifies one of the best entries in the franchise, I think. We've definitely established that. Yeah. But, Mike, I guess our buddy Ted never made it back to camp. And you know, As you said, maybe because he was a killer or could have been. <laughs> one could argue, Mike, that this is a unique film which floats the message out there that, hey, being an out-of-control drunk is not only socially acceptable, but it can actually save your life, yeah. right? I mean, think about that's that. True. That's true. Yeah. That's a bold statement. That's a rule. That's a horror rule. Maybe- you Maybe that should have been mine. <laughs> it so what's your memorable scene from this film, Mike? I, I had to go with uh, with Mark's death, Matt, just because we've talked about it so much. <laughs> it's such a it's such a you know, it's a scene that everybody knows that image, you know, with Mark with that machete in his head, you know. And that oh, poor yeah. guy, you know, it just proves that being handicapped doesn't matter, you know, all bets are off. Uh, in this film, you know, Mark gets them. Like you said, he's the coolest guy in the movie. Yet he can get a machete to the face and a long road down uh, a rainy, rainy <laughs> steps in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh gosh, it's uh, it's unbelievable. So I had to pick that scene just because every time I see it, I am I am mortified and dying laughing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh, what's God. yours? <laughs> Well, I couldn't. Again, I, I, when I'm doing this film, I couldn't not pick the end scene where Jenny puts on Miss Voorhees sweater and yeah, pretends it's to be her. I mean, 
Jason Mothers talking to you. It's unforgettable to me. I, I can't disassociate that image and that line and that and that sequence and not that's what I think about when it, the, one of the first things I think about when I think about this film. Yeah, that image. Yeah, of, of Mrs. Voorhees' head on the table, right? With the oh candles around it and all the dead bodies laying next to her and stuff. Yeah, it's classic. And which, of course, my favorite character would be Ginny. I think no surprise. What would um, what's your favorite character? Ginny. There you go. Yeah, I just I just said she's likable and flawed, which makes her. I thought so... you were going to say Mark. I don't know at this point. I'm yeah, thinking, no, you know, no. I just or maybe you'd say Kevin Williamson at this point. I don't know. <laughs> He's not in this movie. But speaking of, did you ever notice how many extra counselors there are at the beginning of this film? Oh my god! Like in the first scene where they're all like well, it is setting a counselor up... training center. I mean, they did establish that. I know, point, but where did all these point. people go? They all stay at the bar because there's like a. I think they. There's yes. a black dude. There's, there's like an older woman. There's like all these people running around, like playing ping pong, doing all this crazy shit, and all of a sudden they're all gone. <laughs> Mike, there's there's either cutting room floor scenes that all have these, or, or there's a whole other movie. Yeah. In this, where where the, you know, we follow the people from the bar home, right? Included, and find out where the hell these what happened to these. There's people. like a Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Part Two. <laughs> To be. To be. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I picked Ginny. I think she's great. And I think she's she's just so relatable. You know what I mean? As far as a, a human being. You know what I mean? She's got, like I said, she's got flaws and she's likable. She's got everything, you know? Oh, yeah. So what is your favorite line then, Mike? My favorite line, it had to be from Crazy Ralph, right? To Jeff and Sandra at Ooh. the beginning. I told the others they didn't believe me. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. I had to pick so that line. I just that's what well, makes you didn't have to, but you did. Okay. Yeah, you think of Mrs. Voorhees, you know, head and that whole. I think of Crazy Ralph delivering that line in this movie. You know what I mean? See, I think of I think of Crazy Ralph getting chicken wire wrapped around his neck by the tree. That's that's how I picture Ralph in this movie. Like yeah. the death of Ralph. Is yeah, very yeah. No, it's a, iconic. Too. It is iconic for sure. But hearing him say that line to uh, Jeff and Sandra just really stood out to me. What's your, what's your favorite line? Yeah, it's comforting too to know that you know this character survived to the second one. He gets to, to kind of be that you know that harbinger of like the shit's about to hit the fan. You guys better get out of here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's comfort. It's comforting to have a character like Ralph. It is in the beginning of it. right. Um. So again, I have some cheats here, and um, again, Paul, there's someone in this fucking room. I love that line so much. Um, <laughs> I really do. I just think it's great. It's a great, and the way she delivers, Amy Steele says it is 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 great. Um, but. I think my kind of like you know my little favorite that nobody really mentions is Ted's line when he when uh, when Paul is kind of trying to be like control everybody and, yeah. and he's like where was I and he's like you were about to give your let's keep our shit together speech right I just love I just love when he says that like let's keep our shit together speech <laughs> that's a really funny one it's a good one <laughs> yeah it's good stuff oh gosh it's awesome. Um, yeah, so Friday Part Two, Mike. I mean, it'll it's going to be talked about for years to come, and I know people have talked about it before, but I'm glad we got into some of the, you know, the background of it and some of the funnier, you know, kind of kind of the layer stuff that we don't really get to discuss at length. And yeah, this podcast, you know, affords us that opportunity, and I'm grateful for that. No, one thing I wanted to mention real quick before we move on, Matt. Did you maybe you told me this, or I, I read this? I can't remember. But when Terry is skinny diving swimming at night, did you know mm -hmm. that the first few notes of the score you can hear the Jaws theme? Really? Yeah. Go back and listen. I after I read it, I played it, and you can hear the first couple notes of the Jaws theme as she's uh, as she's going into the water. My gosh, really? That's like <laughs> almost like a Caddyshack move or something. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's very strange. Wow. But anyway, uh, I just thought it was funny to uh, to mention there. So, 
Oh, that's cool, man. So Friday 2. Friday 2. So uh, we have talked about three of our five films. And the next film is another another kind of uh, semi-favorite of ours. And which film is that, Matt? So this one was released uh, May 15th of 1981. And we've never really discussed this one nope. uh, on the podcast. So I'm excited to get into Happy Birthday to Me. Virginia, just when the rich young snobs at Crawford High condescended to come to her birthday party, they're all being murdered in the most bizarre ways imaginable. Happy birthday to me. Pray you're not invited. Rated R, now playing in a theater near you. Crawford top 10, Maddie. <laughs> the Crawford top 10, man. By the um, way, I want that scarf, Matt. <laughs> oh, how me cool too. would that be? That could be an alone in the dark merchandise product, right? That would be a, what a great idea. Wouldn't that be cool? I just gave yes. it away. Someone's going to steal it from us. Yeah, well. Love that scarf. That's great. This is a fun movie, right? Well, again, so leading to our bold statement, again, I, I'm just going to just shoot, and I don't know how bold this is again, but I, I really think that. This film, Happy Birthday to Me, has one of the greatest twists in all of horror cinema. Oh, that is a bold statement, Matt. Bigger which, than the which, twist the way, that could have happened I'm, in, I'm not in Friday the 13th here, the Part 2? Well, that didn't happen, so you're... Uh... <laughs> hey, I, I still say it could have, because Paul is nowhere to be found at the end of this movie, and either is Ted, so... Right? Isn't Paul gone? Well, Paul supposedly, in the, as Part 3 tells us, um, he doesn't, doesn't she get him out of the... Um, don't they crawl out? Right, but like at the end of part two. I'm not talking about part three. At the end of part two, she wakes up and there's no there's no Paul. No. Paul's gone. No, they get out. Paul's there. He is there? I thought he's not there in the very last scene when she wakes up. Oh, yeah. See? Yes. That's what I'm saying. So there you go. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So I'm what is digressing. Your, what's, your, what's your bold statement then? <laughs> All right. I got a good one, Matt. My bold statement is happy birthday to me and my bloody Valentine are essentially the same film. You want to know why? Why? Because Paramount made them? Well, that's that's one reason. Paramount made both movies, okay? The movie is about a killer hidden in a tight group of characters. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about the characters, Matt. They both are groups that can be easily identifiable by their uniform. That's true. One wearing a mining getup and one who wears a magnificent scarf. I already said how much I love that scarf. Yes. Um, both films revolve around a special day, right? A, like a ticking clock, right? So Valentine's yeah. Day. April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, is it April Fool's Day? No, what day is it? Actually? It's, it's not. It's her birthday. It's her birthday. Yeah, yeah, right. her birthday. And next, Matt, this is something interesting. The producers from Happy Birthday to Me went into production a few days after the last frame was filmed on another slasher called My Bloody Valentine. My Bloody Valentine. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. And finally, both were released in 1981. So All right. if you think about it, they're very similar movies, you know? And they're Hey, listen, I mean, I was thinking, it's funny, I said April Fool's Day erroneously before, but that could yeah. kind of fit it in almost as a third outline, it could. really. It really could, yeah. It really could. That's funny. So uh, what's uh, we did both statement. What's your memorable scene, Matt? Well, before we get... Well, you know what? Yeah, I'll go to the memorable scene. I'll come back. Yeah, um, sure. My memorable scene... 
is Greg's death scene. Now, <laughs> it's first mine of all, too. Like, is it really? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> well, first of all, I love that this film kind uh. of had the balls to say, you know, like brag about how, you know, it, it was six of the most creative or amazing deaths you'll ever see. Like it, it was kind of a cool promotional tool, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So, and they delivered, man. They delivered. They really but did, yeah. Greg's death scene, Mike, he's lifting weights, as we know. <laughs> he has a pair of bright red short shorts that would make Ronnie from Sleepaway Camp blush in a second. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> they really would. The killer comes in the room, and Greg clearly knows who it is, even y- though the yeah. audience can't see them, right? He does, he knows. yes. You know, it's that whole, uh, you know, Mrs. Voorhees thing. Oh, hi. Yeah. When, you know, Mr. Yeah. You know, Christie is there or whatever. But never never rev- referencing their name or anything, no. you know, at all. Yeah. That's why it's so well constructed. But it's such a suspenseful scene as the killer continues adding weights onto the barbell yes. at Greg's request. Because Greg's requesting it. Let's not get that wrong. Loosening, right? Yeah. Slipping on the weight. Tightening. A few times this happens. It's like building on the suspense, you know, with the with the inserts of the, you know, the weights being added to the to the bar. Right, right. So this happens a few times, and the more weight that goes onto the bar, the more weight obviously is added to the suspense of the scene. I think it's kind of like a really cool, um, you know, way to to add suspense. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> go ahead. I just wanted to mention. Maybe you're going to talk about this, but I I think this could be another bold statement. Just talking about the scene, we get the most exposition in the scene. I feel like we do in any scene in horror in a horror film ever. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? He's constantly, he's just constantly, because the killer doesn't say a word, right? He's just constantly talking. So he's just saying like, hey, it's you, like you said before. And he's like, "Right, Amelia's coming over. She's bringing this stuff. And then he's like. (laughs) It's just one-sided conversation. Like you're almost listening to phone conversation. Yeah, it's so one-sided. He's like, "Uh, Amelia says we're falling apart. And I'm starting (laughs) to agree with her. We've been together for such a long time. We are at each other's throats. And I, I think it, it's like you always talk about exposition. Like that's a line leading right to how he's going to get killed. So continue, Matt. Oh, of course. So so the more weight goes on, right, the suspense is ratcheting up until the killer obviously pulls the bench rack away. Yep. And Greg is stuck with, of course, way too much weight. Yep. Uh, then the worst part, Mike, the killer walks around with a weight. And what does the killer do with the weight, Mike? He tosses it right in his crotch. Right, right in his crotch. <laughs> Only a woman could do that, right, Matt? Well, in retrospect, um, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that could have been a clue to who the killer was, right? So obviously the barbell and weights come crashing down and crush Mm -hmm. Greg's throat, and it's masterfully edited and constructed, and it's just a really, really cool scene. (laughs) It's it's awesome. It's a good one. (laughs) I mean, so to go to just go back a little bit, um, this film like just to give it a little bit of back it's it's an utterly I think unique entry in the horror genre, even though you said it's kind of like like my bloody Valentine. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that's interesting. But there was just not a lot of films out there. Again, think about it. There wasn't a lot of films out there like My Bloody Valentine either. Right. No, they were um, very unique. Yeah, it plays this whodunit game brilliantly. You know, you think you know who the killer is, but the film is always at least one step ahead of you, I think I feel like, in in some ways. Yeah. You know, it has that it has that classic open opening murder scene. Yep. You know, I love the originality of having the characters acknowledge that they know the killer before they're off. I think that's really cool. Yes. Like you said, even we just we were just talking about Greg, right? Yep. You know, it keeps the audience actively invested in trying to figure out like who is this, you know? Yeah, totally. All the all the killer POV shots, the use of black gloves, it makes it seem almost like a giallo film at times, if you think about it. It really does, yeah. 
It totally does. Plus, yeah, plus that razor blade use in the opening scene totally adds some like Argento touches for sure. Oh my god, yeah, and just the lighting and everything, like you said, you know, it's it's just totally like the Argento vibe, and it's uh, yeah. So director J. Lee Thompson, he has a fascinating pedigree of films, Mike, including The Guns of Navarone, <laughs> the original Cape Fear with Gregory Peck and, and the immortal Robert Mitchum, King Solomon's Mines, and Death Wish 4. Death like, Wish 4. This, this guy's resume is like ridiculously versatile. Mm-hmm. So this is a really well-made film. It's, there's excellent camera work, uh, editing, music by, by Bo Hardwood and Lance Rubin. It's very appropriately string-heavy. Um, it practically, if you think about it, it, it practically tries to un- outdo Jerry Goldsmith and Pino Dinaggio, <laughs> and I don't even know if that's possible, but it, it actually tries to do that. Uh-huh. And Mike, this film does, as you said, it definitely does have a direct link because that the producers, Andre Link and John Dunning, as you said, produced My Bloody Valentine. And I didn't know it was days after My Bloody Wrapped yeah. that they went into this. Yes. No, it was it was days after this they went into My Bloody but then, uh, maybe I said that wrong, they finished this film and they went into My Bloody Valentine, but then they rushed My Bloody Valentine and actually My Bloody Valentine uh, came out first because they wanted to get it out before Valentine's Day. Hmm. Yeah. So, this is interesting. In the rarest of coincidences, this film shares, I'm going to even, uh, yet another link to another one of the films from Class of 81, Mike. Can you guess what it is? Uh, is one we're talking about or one that is... Like in 81 that we're not going to talk No, it's from the class of 81, yeah. Uh, I would say, oh man, Evil Dead? No. No, so it's so it's Friday Part 2, and here's oh, how. Oh, okay. Both of the prankster characters, Rudy and Happy Birthday to Me in this yes. movie, and, and Ted from Friday 2, they're never killed. Oh, that's right, yes. So Ted never comes back from the bar, as we know, or yeah. maybe as you said, he comes back as Jason, I don't know. But I'm <laughs> saying he never comes back from the bar. And Rudy is reunited with his ex Maggie at the dance. Yep. So apparently, Mike, true love and excessive drinking are the necessary tools to survive a slasher film. That's it. That's the new rule. Why didn't anybody... They cracked the code here and nobody realized it. Right. It could have changed horror film history as we know it. So I... And again, to bring up our boy again, I really think our mutual buddy Kevin Williamson and many writers of the post-screen boom... Yeah. They had to have been... I mean, they definitely were influenced by this film, right? Yeah. No, definitely. You know, the mystery with the big twist and the... I mean, so obviously, you know influential in that way <laughs> so favorite character mike who's your favorite character in happy birthday to me I, I got a, I got my favorite character but i have to add another just because he's worth mentioning but i didn't want to make him my favorite character of the film but my favorite character is rudy i think uh <laughs> he's great man because he's he's just always playing pranks you know whether he's dumping mice into a foamy beer or jolting static electricity to an authority figure um, sure. he sure. just he just always makes us laugh and you know, he's kind of fun-loving and sweet and, uh, you know, he just, uh, you know, f- fake deaths and everything, you know. He's just kind of a fun guy. So I picked him. But as an honorable mention, I had to mention, mention um, I call him Dr. David Disco. <laughs> you know her doctor, her, like, psychiatrist? I, I picked him. That's who I picked. Oh, you David. did? All right. So Dr. David Faraday. Yes, yeah, I absolutely Yeah, I call him Dr. Disco David Faraday, but go ahead. <laughs> so... It's hard to pick a favorite because, like, think about it. Most of these characters are kind of despicable if you think about it. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. So I, I, I did pick Dr. Disco, as you call him, Dr. <laughs> David Faraday, because he's played by Glenn Ford, who's a great actor, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems to have a moral center amidst all this hypocrisy and fake loyalty between these characters. 
Yeah. So even though he's even though he's disco, Mike, he's true. He, he's a he's a moral <laughs> disco guy. He is. Yes. He seems. He actually seems to have genuine concern about Virginia, and he certainly goes out of his way to try and help her. Yeah. He shows up at the school to investigate her story about Rudy and the bell tower. He even makes a house call to help Virginia by staying overnight. Yikes. Yeah, that's a little creepy. Um. So I'm saying that I'm I'm un, I'm undoing the uh, the moral center of him, possibly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Doctor Dick Disco is definitely getting a heavy Dr. mention Disco. here. So. <laughs> hey, it's your your you coined the I term. I know, I going. know. He really is Doctor Disco. His outfits, man. He's all about the disco love, you know. <laughs> so, what is your favorite line from my um, from uh, Happy Birthday to Me, Mike? Uh, you know, it happens right at the beginning, Matt. It's when we, our good friend Bernadette is uh, as she's walking uh, walking home, or no, she's heading to the bar, right? Which the bar is called what? The bar has got a really weird name. I think it's called the Silent Woman or something like that. I'm not sure what the bar I, is called. Actually. I think it's Matt. It's called the Silent Woman. <laughs> wow. Talk about. I think Sam Raimi named that bar. What do you think? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but anyway, Bernadette Touche, is, my friend. Bernadette is heading to the bar with her with her awesome scarf and she runs into Mrs. Peterson and her dog, um <laughs> uh Winston, right? And she's giving her a hard time and, you know, saying you shouldn't be out late, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, this is a high school? It's like apparently. A, it must be yeah. a boarding school or something, right? Yes, it is, yes. And this film is very proudly Canadian, right? It's it's the, oh, it doesn't, completely yes. Because a lot of those Canadian horror films pretended to be in America, right? But this one is like loud and proud, like Canada all the way. Right? Absolutely, think about it. My bloody was Canadian, and this is obviously the same kind of production, like you said, same producers. So yeah, they yeah, went to Canada totally. So anyway, the, the, I guess you can drink when you're in high school in Canada. That's what I'm. A hundred, a hundred percent, dude. And you, you know, you strike while that Canadian iron is hot, dude. Yeah, yeah, totally. So anyway, so uh, Bernadette falls and she trips or something and and mrs peterson's there to give her a shitty hard time she's being a real bitch right and <laughs> as mrs peterson's like okay don't stay out too late and she's walking away with her bulldog winston bernadette mocks her with this line come on winston give mommy head <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that i don't know why would a dog give a woman the head and I, I don't i don't get it but anyway i just thought it was really funny her delivery you know yeah, dude, that that is unique. I mean, <laughs> so what's yours? How did that even slip by the producers? Like they were like, hey, change that. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Mine's simple. Uh, mine's simple, and it's very much um, symbolic, and obviously um, making fun of what happened previous. Because Anne Thomerson's um, character, yes. she says, "I want to hear all the gory details about you and Steve last oh night." Oh my gosh! Yeah, talk about. And that. obviously, they they were quite shadowing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. <laughs> There's a you know speaking of uh, the producers missing something. Did you ever, did you notice when the when the when um uh what's her name uh, the main character is why am I forgetting her name right now Virginia Virginia, Virginia sorry Virginia yep. is having the flashback with her mom in the car. Yep. And the car goes off the bridge. The bridge, yeah. Yeah. The car, the car falls in the water, and it like it does this thing where it hits the water like three or four times. But every time it does it, those three or four times, it, the car is upside down when it hits the water. <laughs> and then the last time, it's right side up when it hits the water. And I just love how they had all these takes, but yet they made the creative choice to leave the last one in where it was the opposite way. Like, right. it, could you imagine sitting in the editing room and being like, ah, fuck it, no one will notice, it's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, could you imagine making a huge movie like that and like letting something that like that slip? Like, I, I don't know. Well, I just don't get it. I don't know about a huge movie, but certainly there was it. It was it was a, a pretty big release, and yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, if they have the shots, why would they? That's bizarre that they would choose that. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Um, and one thing I wanted to mention, unless you had anything else to say, but just how many times this movie changed the uh, the ending? There was multiple endings and right. you know, changes right on set. You know, with with script changes and stuff, right? Because Virginia originally was going to be the killer. Um, yeah, I don't want to. Don't spoil. I really don't want to spoil the ending of this. Because no, it's, um, no, we don't have to. I, I just think it's 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 something to note that this is one of those films that went through some script changes last minute because of production notes and you know just just some things that were happening in the film where it kind of took on a different life, you know. Um, right. and it's, I think it's kind of a cool ending, you know, it's kind of a cool twist. So if oh, I think have, it's great. And I think there are, this is one of those movies, like you said, I think this is a movie that a lot of people haven't seen. So, um, it's definitely worth a watch cause it's, it's a fun one for sure. You know, it takes on multiple genres of horror, I would say, you know? Oh dude. And what about, what about that song at the end credits, man? That's yeah. That, that... <laughs> It's so creepy, man. It really is, yeah. It's really weird, man. It's awesome. It is, yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> That's Happy a funny one. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, it's so creepy. It's, oh, man, it's creepy. <laughs> oh, boy. Anything else you want to say about this film before we move on? No, like I said, I don't. Want, I would hate to spoil, um, you know, even though there's some spoilers here and there sprinkled in, I don't want to, like, just outright just talk about the whole entire ending yeah. and spoil the movie, so. yeah. No, let's let's move on. We got one more film to talk about, right? One more film, and then we get to uh, the the fun part, I guess. Yeah, so this is all fun. But so our fifth and final film that we're discussing here again, we have not really covered on this podcast. And no. shame on us. But we, I think we were saving it, honestly. <laughs> no, it's this is appropriate to be mentioning it now. So so yeah, released in August twenty first of nineteen eighty one. I have got a lot to say about an American werewolf in London. For the first 23 years of David Kessler's life, he was only human. Then one night he took a walk on the moors. Beware the moonlights. Is David behaving strangely? Are you all right now? Well, I'll let you know the next full moon. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal, an American werewolf in London, rated R. <laughs> from the director of Animal House, I a know. different type of animal. I love it, that. That's a great, great little tagline there, Matt. <laughs> so, what's your? Uh, I'm dying to know your bold statement for this film. I mean, again, um, I have to. I'm going to definitely go bolder next time because I love the way you creatively thought outside the box for these. Um, <laughs> see, in 1981, when this film came out, the the year before this, The Elephant Man, David Lynch's film, had come out, and they were discussing and already talking about special makeup effects uh, yeah. categories for the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. There hadn't been one prior to this. Right. So it was already in talks, but I'm contending that this movie, this werewolf transformation scene, singer, and the effects in this film, they were so good that I think the, they literally made the Academy like come up with this, like finalize like coming up with an award to, to start an awards for this for just for special effects. I could see that. I could see that. It was outstanding. I so. think it forced the Academy's hand. They're like, you know what? They heard like because they saw the Elephant Man and there was like I said there was conversation like oh crap you know we don't have a category for that maybe we should because John Hurt's right. John Hurt's makeup 
you know, in that film is so good. Um, but I think they heard what was coming down the pike and maybe even saw some previews or heard what was going on at John Landis' set and what he was filming. Yeah. And I think they just, I think it just forced their hand and they're like, we, we're just going to, we're going to do this now. We're going to start. Wow. It. That's good. Yeah. That makes sense. Totally makes so what sense you, to me. What's your bold statement, Mike? My bold statement is this movie really depresses me, Matt. <laughs> okay. All this, right. This film is really sad. <laughs> it is very sad. He he loses. It's also very his, funny. Yeah, it's funny, but I'm my statement is it 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 makes me sad. He mm-hmm. loses his best friend, right? Yes. He tries to commit suicide, right? Several times. He even talks to a bunch of dead people that he killed to ask them how he should do it. Right. The last scene when he gets shot reminds me so much of Cronenberg's The Fly, right? When he knows yes. he has to die, like it's just mm-hmm. like so depressing. Very much. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I don't know. So after rewatching this film, I just and honestly, realized... the sad note too—that the sadness, I believe, carries over from the fly as well. It does. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it just makes me sad. It's just kind of a depressing film, you know. But and again, part of that is it's like his likability. Dave is his his likability. Yeah, you really like his character. You don't want to see him go. You know what I mean? You don't want to see him struggle through this this sort of pain and anguish that he's going through, be, being this werewolf. You know. Right. Because he doesn't want to be it, you know? So you, you feel it with him. So, yeah, that's my bold statement. So what, what's no, your that's mem- great. Thanks. What's well, your mem- so before, memorable scene? Well, oh, you want to get to the memorable scene? Okay, I was going to no, give no. a little bit of a... Uh, Go ahead, give so, it. So before we get to the memorable scene, Mike, I, yeah. I, I mean, again, I really think you don't watch this movie as much as you just experience it. Like, it's hard to just sit down mm-hmm. and say, oh, I watched American Werewolf in London. You didn't really watch it. Like, you experienced it. Right. And like, in case you're wondering where you may have seen star David Naughton before, he was the dude in the Dr. Pepper commercials in the late 70s. Yes, yes. Um, and early 80s. And that's where jo- director John Landis uh, saw him, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, due to the nudity that David had to do in this film, Dr. Pepper let him go. Apparently, Mike, they didn't agree with the potential lyrical changes that probably would have had to m- been made to the jingle, which goes something <laughs> like this. I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, he's a pepper, we're a pepper, and wouldn't you like to see my pecker, too? <laughs> Lost, my, you know, I mean, like lo- lost my Dr. Pepper contract because I showed my sack, like something like that. I don't know. I just think those changes were just not sitting well with Dr. Pepper. And the, Probably not. Yeah, that's so not gonna just, fly with the Coca-Cola company. Right? Probably not. Wouldn't no. you like to see my pecker too? It just, I don't know how this doesn't uh, have a ring to it. Is you know, yeah, pe- pecker and sack are not good <laughs> words to go into a Dr. Pepper commercial. So memorable scene. Mm-hmm. I'm, now. This is where now I did I did preface this at the beginning of the um, podcast by saying I had a major cheat in here somewhere. Well, this is this this is the movie. Okay. Um, I, I really honestly couldn't wait to talk about this because there's so much. It's such a rich film, and you're right. It is sad, um, and it's loaded with with different emotions, and it really kind of plays with your emotions as as you watch it. Yeah. You know, but like you said, because you'd be laughing one second, and then right. the next second you're like, "Holy shit! What am yeah. I? What am I laughing at? Like this right. is ridiculous." Um. So yeah, the transformation scene, obviously, for obvious reasons, would be one for the time capsule. And I'm not, I mean, I'm partial to the opening scene, though, Mike. The whole entire opening scene. when they're... I love that scene. It's great. Me it's too. It's not my it... pick, but it's okay. definitely an amazing scene, yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, because it sets up that genuine relationship between Jack and David, right? Yeah, their friendship, you know. It's, it's... so important. And David yeah. is obviously the straight man to Jack's kind of funny guy because he's yep. all talking about the girl that he's supposed to be in love with and why, you know, and that he saw and, and he's, and he's just, it's humorous and and their affection for each other is, is warm and so real, right? It's so real. Yeah. Yeah. 
And when they enter, uh, here's you were talking about uh, the silent woman. Well, they, here the slaughtered lamb is the name of the pub. <laughs> so when they enter this this bar's pub, whatever you want to call it, really more it's more of a pub, I guess, in in the English countryside. Yeah, it becomes extremely uncomfortable for them and the audience. Like when they go in there, it's like you, you feel weird. Yes, because the locals at. are yeah they're hiding this dangerous secret, and uh, the name of the bar is obvious foreshadowing to what's coming next. Yep. And the scene where Jack is attacked, Mike, is just, it, it's horrifying and gory, like beyond, I didn't re- remember, like I rewatched this. Oh my God, I, it's By so the way, I rewatched gory. this, yeah, I watched this on, uh, I bought the Arrow, uh, beautiful Arrow uh, edition oh. of this movie. And Mike, it's worth it. It's it's great. It's beautiful. I have to get it, because I still have the DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray of this guy. Yeah, so. it's worth it. And it's affordable, too. It's only like $19.99. Or it's, oh, that's it's, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's affordable. But it's, it's. Even 40 years later, it's still hard to watch. Like, and that's just a testament to how damn good it is. Like, I mean, the tone shifts, like, in an instant, yeah. right? They're talking about funny stuff, then Jack gets attacked, and yet the film, it doesn't even stumble. Like, it becomes even more confident and assured. And, you know, it continues to walk this razor-thin line. Um, and I just don't know how it does it sometimes. It's spinning my head at times. Yeah, um, no, you're right. It just jumps from emotion to emotion, you know? I mean, that scene that could never be done now um, because of, I guess, the political correctness of it all. But um, when David goes to Trafalgar Square and he's trying to get arrested and he talks about how, yes. um, you know, how, uh, what does he say? Like, the you know, the prince is gay or the king is, what does he say? He's yeah. trying to get arrested so badly and he's getting in right. the cop's face. He's just face trying and, to insult, yeah, in any way possible. I forget. But, yeah, he does say something that's politically incorrect. Uh, and he, but he's he is just unhinged, and it's like it, it's a really not, not what he says so much, but to watch him like kind of just become unhinged, it's hilarious. It's really kind of a fun scene. Yeah, no. And, but it, the and the dreams and nightmare sequences that mm-hmm. that Jack is in, I mean, Mike, they get progressively more violent. They're so bizarre. What about that one where the soldier beasts come into his house and they kill oh his gosh. entire family, and then he slit his throat at the end of that it? That freaked me out. Oh my. God, man, that's a scary one. That always scared me. That scene, because it's it. It always reminded me of. Uh, it always reminded me of another movie. I can't think of it right now. Oh, of House. It reminded me of House, kind of. Like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yes. it, it, it. But even totally f- did. more freaky, though. Yeah, absolutely. And the Mike, the, probably the second most known scene, though, and then I'm gonna see what your favorite scene is. Um, is the one where? Oh, take your time. Tra- obviously, the, the transformation <laughs> scene. Yeah. Well, I'm I know, just you're kidding. About, you're, you're cheating. You're adding Williamson. like eight scenes, and I've got one. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. But the scene, I don't, I don't want to not mention it because it is like the iconic part of the movie. Obviously, the transformation scene, but the yes. dream where David's running and he sees himself lying on the hospital bed in the middle of the forest. Oh God. And then Nurse Alex kind of approaches the bed, and he opens his eyes, and he's like this vampiric, like beast-like creature. Yeah. And that sound effect, man, it's like the Twilight Zone. Wow, like the yes. tiger yes. thing at the beginning. What it a scary really moment, though. His face. Oh my God. That's so what do you have for your favorite scene? I, you know, I love the scene when David meets Jack in the porno theater and he's just sitting there having this conversation and he's, he's getting all the advice from the people that, you know, how to kill himself from oh like my God, the people so that unique. he killed. And it's just like, uh, to me, it's like John Land is shining in this moment. Like it's, it's his, his directing, you know, and writing chops just coming through. It's like the juxtaposition of how funny a scene can be and how disturbing it can be. You know, it's just, it's like this, this, this crazy scene where he's talking about suicide, but it's just so ridiculous. You know what I mean? I can't think of a movie either 
now you mentioned it, that where kind of a, a guy has to not only atone, but face up to almost all of the people that he killed, like yeah. all of his victims. Right, but they're nice to him. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? A, they're being in nice. A way. Yeah, but and Jack looks like he's like an extra from Beetlejuice or something, right? Yeah. At this point, he's so yeah, like he's so far gone. Yeah, he's so destroyed at this point. Um, but yeah, it's just such a weird scene. He's talking about ending his life with people that he killed, and there's like you can hear people like having sex in the background. It's just such a strange, odd scene, but it's so funny but disturbing and sad. It, you know, there's just all kinds of crazy emotions. But I, I just think it's a, it's an amazing scene because, like I said, John Landis just really knocked it out of the park in this scene as far as his humor and and kind of, you know, sadness and, and sort of disturbing, you know, thoughts going through your head when you're thinking this guy's about to end his life. He's got to he's got to end this. You know, he's got to end this this road that he's down now because he's a werewolf, you know. Yeah. I mean, Mike, you're all those things you said. I'm so glad you mentioned it because it, that tone and that, you know, how heavy and the juxtaposition of the, you know, the funny. And then, oh, by the way, we're talking about killing you, killing ourselves. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and your best friend is telling you you need to kill yourself. It's, it's very disturbing. Um, it really is. But I mean, think about the performances in this movie. I mean, my God, like Griffin Dunn and David Naughton and Jenny Agutter as Nurse Alex. I mean, they're so lived in, these performances, right? They really are. They just feel real, you know? And the, so the real. Plot, and the plot's so deceptively simple. Really, it comes down to a few characters and you get, you're get you getting so sucked into the emotionally, uh, the emotionality of the, uh, the arc of the story that, honestly, it took me a few rewatches to really appreciate the entire production and how rich it is. Yeah. Because I really was so sucked into the characters the first time around. But the photography's lush. The real London and rural English locations are, are fabulous. Gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't imagine, Mike, that the moors of East Proctor in the beginning and yeah. the slaughtered lamb, they're probably not too far from a certain place called Crouch End. What do you think about that? Oh, my God, yeah, I could see that for sure. Yep. Parallel universe, right? Stephen King's Absolutely. story. Absolutely, yeah. But John Landis, as you said it, Mike, he nails every aspect of this. It's no surprise to me at all that he counts this as his personal favorite of all of his movies. Yep. Um, you know, this is from a guy who directed the Blues Brothers, Animal House, and Trading Places, just named just a few. Um, I love how he, he made it his mission to put the transformation on display. Like, you know, you're right there with David. You experience it with him as it's happening. Yep. And not only that, you sp you're conveying the amount of pain that he must have been going through. And Oh, my God, you feel it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because wa he watched, because he very distinctly has said... And he aggressively opposed, basically, Lon Chaney's Wolfman from, like, 1941 or whatever. Right. He's sitting in this... He's sitting unmoving, right? He's, uh, yeah. he's absolutely still in a chair. And, like, through this time-lapse photography, we see the hair growing on his legs and his body, right? Yeah. And here, you have David, and he's screaming. He's leaping out of his chair. He's, he's on his knuckles. He's flipping onto his back. Like, it's the complete opposite of what Lon Chaney was, just sitting in his chair watching the hair form. Like, it's this writhing in pain... Like, as your bones are basically stretching, and oh man, it's just it's it's an amazing performance. And dude, it's like Hulkamania before what? Like he's tearing his shirt off. Like it's yeah, fucking Hulkamania true. before it even ran wild in the eighties, right? That's true. It totally I'm thinking, is. I'm thinking Hulk Hogan probably saw this and goes, you know what? I'm going to market that shit. I'm gonna... <laughs> so, who's your favorite character in this movie, Mike? I had to go with Jack, Matt. I love same. Jack. You yeah, know, I, you have Jack too. Yeah, I just yes. love. I love how he's like the voice in David's ear. You know, after he's gone, um, he's just like like you said, like their their friendship. You know, at the beginning, it just it solidifies like characters that you and I both love. You know, he's they're just like amazing friends, and you just feel so bad. You know that yes. that he that he gets killed. Um, 
you know, he's funny and he's a little selfish, you know, because, you know, he wants he wants Jack dead and, you know, he maybe wants him around, you know, because he, he could have him in the afterlife. Who knows? Um, but I just I just love the comedy we get from Jack, you know, um, I, love... I think that's really why one of the real the reasons why it, this movie lasts beyond the special effects. Like, yeah, he I, I almost like he's he's the modern equivalent of like Dickens's ghost of Christmas is yet to come. You know, if you think yeah, about it, that's true. Yeah. In, instead of just pointing at a grave like he's injecting humorous barbs about his own funeral and he warns a David that he will become a world like instead of. Like it, it seems like they almost substitute Dickens's Dickens's character for like that's what I I kind of think of, I think that's probably one of the literary equivalents that they, that they draw here. I think. Yeah, on. that's true. That's true. I didn't think of that before. That's absolutely true. I I just think like the line. Uh, this is not my favorite line, but there's talking about Jack being selfish. There's that great line where he's like, "The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse?" He's like, "It's boring. I'm lonely. Kill yourself." <laughs> Kill yourself, David, before you kill others. Um, yeah, he's just, he, he's kind of quirky and, you know, but it's kind of sad. He wants his friend, you know, he wants his friend to be in the afterlife with him, you know? Yeah, I mean, my favorite trivia bit, too, is is how John Landis um, instructed ja- uh, Griffin Dunn to play Jack as even more joyful and upbeat and encouraging. Like, the more desiccated and decayed he becomes, he wanted him to like kind of play a more upbeat character as that went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's know? true. That's funny. That's what a great direction. I mean, absolutely. Think about that. That is like brilliance. It right really there. is. Yeah, that's amazing. But like you said before, man, like he provides the comic relief, um, even in the current horrific state that he's in. But again, the film miraculously balancing like that humor with the pitch dark pathos because Jack's ultimate message is what? You have to kill yourself before yeah. you kill other people. That's yes. the bottom line. Yeah, that's and it's it. It's dark, He's, man. That's fucking it's, dark. It's really dark. Yeah. How about so, your favorite line, man? What do you got? Again, my favorite line. It's probably one of John Landis's best written lines, and it's really subtle because it's actually in the first time Jack appears to uh, David in the hospital. Uh, it's the first. It is the first time he appears to him. He's talking about uh, whatever her name is, um, and how he saw her at at his funeral. Right. He's talking about his own funeral. Yes. And the fact that this girl that he was hot for or whatever was there and she was sad and this other guy or whatever comforted her and they went back and they must have, you know, comforted, comforted sex, had to have <laughs> sex with each other, comfort each other. And he's like, man, he goes, life mocks me even in death. <laughs> That's a great it just, line. Oh, it's just a fantastic line. It's like one of the greatest oh, lines. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, Mike, you have anything else on American World from London? I didn't say my favorite line. Oh, you didn't. That's right. What is your favorite line? My favorite line is another comedic line. I think John Landis killed it with this. When David's transforming, I love when he 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 yells out, "I didn't mean to call you meatloaf, Jack." <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I think, I think it's a classic. I think it's it good. Really it's just is. it's such a weird juxtaposition of what's happening in that scene to you know. And that's when, ballsy too, man. It is to throw really something like that is. in the middle of that scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, before we get to our uh, honorable mentions here, Matt, um, we're going to dive into the yearbook, right, of the class of 81. Before let's, we do, yeah, go ahead. Let's mention some of the other films that, you know, that, have, well, that came out this we, year. Before, yeah, one second, before we do that. Yeah, go for I it. I want to see what, uh, before we wrap, let's wrap these films sure. and put a little bow on it. So what what do you have as the best of the bunch here oh, in the class of 81? If, if I had to pick my top film from these five? Yes. Oh man, I think uh, for me it's it's a close one between Friday Two and My Bloody Valentine, but I think I'm gonna have to go with My Bloody Valentine, Matt. Okay. 
and I, I just love any film that has to do with a holiday, you know, and uh, just a horror film that has to do with that. And, you know, I love those those kind of whodunit mystery sort of horror films. And I feel like My Bloody Valentine does such a great job with it, you know. Oh, yeah, Kind of sure. telling that story. And like you said, to see this town and these characters, they feel so real. Mm-hmm. Um, every Valentine's Day when I put this on, it just makes me smile when they're all at the bar and they're having fun and they're joking around and, you know, they, you just feel these characters like they really know each other. It just makes me want to, like, have my own Valentine's dance in, in my, my little town here, you know? Um, right. Yeah, I love it. How about you? What would be your pick? I, I mean, here's these? the thing. You're going to think this is confounding in a way, I think. But when I say best of the bunch, I really think American and American World for London is the best film of this bunch. Mm. I really do. Yeah. Uh, as far as just an, a cinematic achievement as a whole, right. uh, with with actually the Evil Dead coming in a close second. If we're talking about film achievement, now the other category I wanted us to look at was most rewatchable, and typically I would say Friday Two was was always my my most rewatchable. But now, mm-hmm. My Bloody Valentine has definitely become yeah the most rewatchable film for me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick the best of the bunch. I'm picking an American World from London as far as the best film, best, the highest cinematic achievement. Okay. But okay. most rewatchable, I'm, I'm going with My Bloody Valentine with, with Friday 2 trailing just in its wake. Gotcha. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. What do you think is the most rewatchable? You got My Bloody Valentine also? I would, yeah, I would pick My Bloody Valentine. I would say Best of the Bunch and, you know, I just, I don't know, I just love that movie so much that I, I would put them both in, that, in, in those two different categories. So I'm going to have All to right. do that. Yeah. So 81 was an amazing year for horror, Matt. You want to mention some of the the other amazing films that we were considering putting on this on this on this podcast? Sure. I mean, you, you know, you have Just Before Dawn, uh mm-hmm. Jeff Lieberman's film, you have Madman was in 81. Yep. You have The Prowler with with uh with Joseph Zito of uh, Fr- uh, Friday Four fame directing and Tom Savini's effects. Right. The Howling, right? The Howling was another one. Yeah. Um there's there's so many Evil oh, Speak. Evil Speak was in 1981, yes. Dead and Buried, right? We've Hell talked Night. about that. The Fun House. The Fun House, yes. Oh, my God, yeah. The Burning. Scanners, Scanners, right? The Burning, yeah. All of these films came out in 1981. It's Yeah, it just goes on. Graduation Day, right? Did Graduation we that Day. One? It oh was a rich, rich year. It really was, yeah. Unbelievable. Um, amazing film. So, you know, this is definitely a, a, a year that you could go back and just I mean, we could do a part two. Films. Part three to this to this year. We could, we could, yeah. If we ever did run out of years, which I don't think we're ever going to, Matt. We have so many well, years to go through. What's good about it is too that those other films that we did mention that are that are not highlighted here, and, and definitely we want to mention it, and we're definitely going to be mentioning them on future podcasts for sure somewhere. Yeah, no, definitely. Don't Absolutely. don't quite know where some of them are going to turn out yet. Right. Uh, thematically or subject wise, but they will be appearing for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. They will in some some form or another, as as you mentioned. So let's uh, let's open up the yearbook, Matt. Let's flip to that page and see what we got. You want to do it? All right. So we're going to the superlatives here, Mike. Yes. OK, Matt. So first one is biggest flirt I have, Matt. Who do you who do you have for your biggest flirt? I have Vicky from Friday the 13th, part two. Oh, OK. While the counselors are all swimming, Mike, Vicky is sitting right at the foot of Mark's wheelchair on the beach. I don't know if you realize that Mark's <laughs> wheelchair was on the fucking sand, Mike. Yeah. Let's not let's not even go there as to how Mark got on the sand in the first right. place. You know how incredibly hard it is to push a fucking wheelchair through the sand? <laughs> later, Mike, she offers to He is to go the, to the coolest guy. Oh, he is the coolest guy. I mean, later she offers to go to the bar with him. Then she says she'll she'll stay at camp with him. I mean, <laughs> the way she urges Mark on while he's arm wrestling Jeff, 
Come on, Mark. Come on. She's biting down on her lip. She's staring at Plus all the dripping innuendo. You want to take me on? <laughs> and then she goes, I only want your fingers. Before she oh breaks out. Gosh. Before she breaks out Ted's handheld hockey video game. Yes. And he goes, what do you want to play for? And what is her response, Mike? Position. <laughs> she's leaning on her hand, eyeing him like a man-sized Tootsie Pop. And she's considering how many licks it's going to take to get to Mark's chewy center, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Then after asking about her, his accident, just your legs, huh? Everything else okay? She, wow, she's laying it on thick. She is laying, and then she offers him a toke, but he says he's in training, which he'd already said earlier. And she goes, for what? And she asks him so seductively. And Vicky, actually, Mike, is the one who asks Mark, want to stay together tonight? There you go. When there's a question about whose cabin they'll stay in, Vicky offers this. We've got the whole camp. We'll find our own cabin. Mike. Which, even if they do, what are the chances their cabin is going to have a wheelchair accessible and come equipped with a ramp for Mark to get up? Think about it. <laughs> At this point, she's so fucking randy, I'm guessing she'd probably attempt to carry Mark herself if it came to that. <laughs> That's how big of a flirt Vicky is. So there you go. There you go. Well, my biggest flirt, Matt, short and sweet, it's Linda from Evil Dead. I kind of talked about it when oh, we were yeah. talking about this film. Fun. When she delivers her line, we're going to get you, we're going to get you, not another peep, time to go to sleep. She's got some flirty eyes there. She's flirting it up with, yes. with Ash, you know? She's uh, she's ready to get in the sack with him, I feel like, you know? She's going to yes. take this take this weekend and make it special for her and Ash. So <laughs> wow, Mike. So that's my biggest flirt. Mike, you still thinking about the porn theater of American Wolf in London? Are you all right? Are you coming out of there? Or what? I'm, what all, you... I'm out. I'm out. Oh, all right, I'm good. Really, I'm all good. Right. I'm good. <laughs> my hands are not in my pants. It's all good. All right, good. good, man. All right, class clown, Matt. Who do you have? I know I worry about you, Mike. I know you do. I know you do, and I appreciate that. All right. Class clown, clearly. I, I can't get any more clear than this. It's Rudy from Happy Birthday to me. There you go. Interesting. Okay. The, the obvious choice is Ted from Friday, too, I think, and Howard yeah. from My Bloody Valentine. Those are two mm -hmm. good picks. But Rudy, Mike, this fucking guy, he's a prankster on a whole different level. As you mentioned before, <laughs> he puts Alfred's pet mouse into the Grand Poobah's mug of beer at the <laughs> yep. Knights of Columbus, you know, before the Crawford 10 sprint out to play chicken on the bridge. Right? Yes. And then, as you also mentioned... In chemistry class, he uses the electrostatic generator machine to make the teacher's hair stand up while yep. the dude's giving a demonstration where he's shocking a pair of frog's legs. Like, everyone in the class, it's crazy. <laughs> yes. They all crack up, especially when the teacher returns the favor by shocking him. <laughs> and, Mike, if that's not enough proof, in the most bizarre of cinematic pranks, he buries a Crawford scarf worn by all the members of the top ten in the flower garden on campus near the bell tower. <laughs> then later... He takes Virginia on top of the bell tower, tells her he's planning on cutting the rope, and that he has a knife, right? Yeah, yeah. Then he draws it, slowly walks toward her, and it cuts to black. It's so freaking warped, and the scene ends, right? But later yeah. on, Virginia's therapist goes to the campus, and the police find the scarf and a skull buried in the garden. And it's all this, like, elaborate prank carried out by the mastermind, Rudy, who's very much alive after all. I know. <laughs> he even hangs himself upside down in the library and pretends to be dead. Remember this? And grabs Regina's yes. leg as she's trying yeah. to run away. I mean, the pranks literally never stop with Rudy. Never. <laughs> Who do you have, Mike? I had to go. You said it was obvious, but I went with Howard from My Bloody Valentine. Yes. Definitely He's the ultimate goofball too. and prankster, and you, you got to love him. You know what I mean? He's, he's such a sweet guy like you, you talked about when we talked about this film. He's amazing. I just love I love the way he talks too. You know, sorry, sorry, Mayor. You know, he's 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 amazing. Yeah, he's really good. So he's I went great. with Howard for my bloody Valentine, Matt. So we are uh, we are on to cutest couple. 
Ooh, Mike, this one for me was easy. It's Hollis and Patty from My Bloody Valentine. Okay. The way she seems to light up every time she sees Hollis, like in the beginning, he comes into the hall where she's decorating yeah. for the upcoming yes. dance. He like lifts her off the ladder. It's just tender, oh, it's beautiful. so sweet, right? Yeah, it's this huge embrace. It's, it's clear they genuinely missed each other. It seems to be real love, all right? Also, yeah. after Hollis breaks up the fight between Axel and TJ, he grabs them yep. both simultaneously in a double headlock. Um, and he tosses Axel like a rag doll, dude, and he shoves him away. Yeah. And he's emotional. And there's this moment where Patty finishes tending up to the shaken Sarah, and she tenderly kisses the top of Hollis's head. And then she wraps her arm around him from behind. Dude, it's so damn beautiful and poetic, Mike. <laughs> I just, I, I can't get over them. They're adorable. Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> so, who do you have, Mike? Matt, my cutest couple is Ginny and every guy from the Crawford Top Ten. <laughs> you mean Virginia? Virginia. I'm sorry. Yes. Did I say Ginny? I'm sorry. Yes. Virginia. Jesus okay. Christ. Virginia and every guy from the Crawford Top Ten. <laughs> every she, one of them. She makes out with like every dude. You ever notice that when you she watch does. that movie? In front She's, of other people's dudes. Yes, it's very strange. I don't understand what's <laughs> going on in this high school. But yeah, Virginia is uh, she's she's locking lips with everybody in this Crawford top ten, you know? She is, man. She is, so there you go. So sorry for saying Ginny. I'm getting my uh eighty no. ones crossed, dude. No, but that's they, you know, they may call her Ginny, you know. Ginny, Virginia, there you go. Anyway. They're, they all have her as a pet, apparently, and they all make, make out <laughs> They really do, so. yeah. She might There's be Virginia to some, on. Ginny to others, who we don't know. No wonder why her head's so fucking crazed, you know, messed up. Uh, most athletic, Matt, who do you have? Okay, Mike, this one for me, I, you know, it was easy. Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th Part 2. Ah, okay. Jason okay. has hustled, Mike, dare I say walked briskly in other installments <laughs> of the Friday franchise. But in Part 2, he's a bona fide fucking track star. <laughs> he is. In one scene, Deputy Winslow is driving through the woods patrolling his beat, and he sees Jason streak across the road. It's so quick you don't even see him. He's like a flash. <laughs> the audience, and indeed Deputy Winslow, are like, they're not even sure who or what it was. It could have been a an animal. They don't even know. So he stops yeah. the car. He gets out. He gives chase. He, Deputy Winslow, Mike, is literally... <sighs> he, he is running his ass off while Jason does this little trot Right? This little lumbering kind of forest gallop that he's got going yeah. on. And yet the deputy doesn't even come, he doesn't even close the gap at all. Jason is like in crazy good shape. <laughs> I was going to say it's like a little game of cat and mouse, but it's more like a game of fox and walrus. <laughs> and the final showdown, Mike, with Ginny, damn, it's like two long distance runners trying to play the world's longest game of hide and seek. It like, really is. He's and Ginny's cooking, fast, man. man. Ginny's yeah. fast. But that He's scene flying. where she's yeah she's crouched down in front of the yellow car, and Jason runs into frame behind the car, then she sprints up the hill and back in the woods. I, I mean, the next shot is she's running toward the camera in long shot. Jason leaps out from a fucking tree and misses her, <laughs> which meant that Mike not only did he double back and beat her into the woods, he was so far ahead he had time to plan a surprise ambush on Ginny. <laughs> he gets hands hands down most athletic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh god who do you have mike uh, mike uh mike matt <laughs> my most athletic is mark from friday part two. Oh, there you go <laughs> his graceful hop down that long outdoor staircase in the rain and in a <laughs> wheelchair no less <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, there he goes even i just there can't. he goes matt there he <laughs> there goes, he goes. <laughs> All right, we're on the most changed, Matt. What do you got? Oh, my God. So, okay, most changed. Stay with me here. Okay. 
Mrs. Voorhees' head. Okay. <laughs> I know it took you a minute. Okay. <laughs> I had a pause there for a second. When, I did like a I did like a Myers head tilt. When Alice sees it in the fridge during the prologue of the film. Yeah. Two months have passed since Mrs. Voorhees' decapitation, okay? Look, I'm yes. no more I'm no mortician, Mike. So I'm not exactly <laughs> familiar with the rate of rot, nor can I pontificate about the proper percentage of putrefaction of a head, right? I just know her head looks pretty good for not being attached to the rest of her body for 60 days or so, all right? Her hair still looks strong, moderately curly even. The skin on her face, although sallow, streaked with blood-stained lesions, it's still taut. It's still resting comfortably on her skull, the skin, you know? Her eyeballs are still intact. They're rolled back in their sockets. You know, the mouth is open. There's a few bloody teeth in her gums. Still looks like a real head, right? Yes. Okay. At the end, when Ginny goes into Jason's shack in the woods and pretends to be Mrs. Voorhees, Voorhees, five long years have passed, Mike, since we last saw that head in the fridge. <laughs> the hair is really thinning by this point considerably. There's no skin on her face anymore at all. It's more like a dried-out corn husk, right? And the eyeballs aren't yep. even there. Somehow, though, many teeth are still intact. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Jason's had enough time in the interim to perfect teeth-whitening techniques because <laughs> overall the head really has changed, though, Mike. Think about it from the beginning to the end. Most changed. No doubt. No doubt. It so what really do you have? Has. What do you have for most change, Mike? <laughs> My most change is similar to yours. I picked Jack from American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. He started as a young lad walking in the moors. Then he became a rotting man. That was a disgusting corpse. <laughs> yes, he did in a, in a movie he in did. a porno theater. He did. Yes, he did. Uh, most likely to succeed if they weren't killed, Matt. Mike, I'm sorry for these elaborate um, responses, but you know sometimes I have to go off. This one will be short. And no, sweet. it's all good. So most likely to succeed if they weren't killed. I'm saying Etienne is his name from Happy Birthday to Me. Yes, yes. So he's the son of a French ambassador, right? I'm sure okay. he would have been set up nicely for life by his father, and he would have been sexually harassing women at the highest levels of French society had he survived this movie. <laughs> right. But alas, Mike, merde, shit, la vie est so cruelle. You know, <laughs> that's what happens. You know, life is cruel and, um, you know... <laughs> Eat shit and live, Etienne. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he died. So anyway, who's your uh, most likely to succeed if they weren't killed, Mike? I put Dave, David from American Werewolf in London. I went for most oh, all right. To, yeah, yeah. He's such a positive outlook at the beginning, you know? He had a just great trip plan with his best friend, you know? I could see him growing up to be a very successful travel agent someday. I could too, man. He had a cool disposition. He had a really good attitude. You're right. He did, yeah. Set up traveling anywhere else besides Europe, you know? for people <laughs> anywhere but anywhere but uh but the moors of uh east, yeah. east proctor yeah anywhere but that's there. it that's it how about uh best dancer for you matt oh for me mike best dancer you ready for this yep scott from friday the 13th part two. Oh, okay <laughs> he's slow dancing with terry's dog muffin after she turns him down <laughs> he's got his collar pulled up his tight-fitted powder blue Lacoste polo shirt, man. He's got the little collar pulled up. <laughs> He's swaying back and forth to this barely audible blues boogie-woogie music and even does a turn or two, Mike. It's impressive. If you look closely, okay, he has beads of sweat on his forehead, which tells me he's been at this a while, Mike. He's been at it a yes. while. He yeah. might be trying to impress Terry, who's sitting on the couch nearby, but she seems, to, she seems to be more befuddled than anything else as she shakes her head and barely cracks this broken smile of hers. Terry may not be interested. Hell, the friggin' dog, Muffin, doesn't even want to be with you. <laughs> but it's not because of all your moves, Scott. The music is in you, buddy. The music is in you. 
<laughs> Who do you have as best dancer, Mike? Matt, my best dancer is also from Friday Part 2. And guess what? He's back. It's Mark from Friday Part 2. <laughs> His graceful hop down that long outdoor staircase in the rain and in a wheelchair, no less. There he goes. Sick oh, bastard. let's let's you listen to him go, bastard. Matt. There he goes. See you, Mark. <laughs> All right, moving on. Most accident prone, Matt. Okay. Um, I think I just picked this guy for the last category as the best dancer, but I'm also going to pick him as the most accident prone. Okay. Scott from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. <laughs> now, Mike, it's established that Scott has a thing for Terry, possibly even Terry's dog Muffin, but let's stick with Terry for yes. now. Yes. So when everyone going out to the bar and Terry stays behind Scott decides that he will too okay <laughs> of course he steals her clothes while she's skinny dipping in the lake and the yep. clumsy dumb shit ends up ensnared in a rope trap <laughs> and, of some sort upside down remember this yeah yes, yes I do iconic scene so now all the blood's flowing to his head and ebbing from Scott's other head of course which has done all the steering up to this point <laughs> following Terry uh, and while he's waiting for Terry to come back with something to cut him down Mike Jason comes and slices Scott's throat open with this machete I contend Mike that even if Scott hadn't gotten caught up in the tree trap and killed yeah he would have eventually ended up hopelessly tangled in the thicket of Terry's bush anyway really honestly <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> let's be honest oh gosh <laughs> and so it goes Mike that any man becomes a klutz when he lets himself be led by his putts. <laughs> what do you got for uh, most accident prone, Mike? Matt, most accident prone. It's Mark from Friday Part <laughs> 2. His graceful hop down that long outdoor staircase in the rain and in a wheelchair, no less. There he goes, Matt. Let's listen to him. Bye, Mark. See you later. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. There he goes, Matt. Mark. Mark is All right. Some, we'll get some mileage out of Mark tonight. <laughs> we are. We are. Oh, this year he needs that gonna mileage. Be a good one. This is going to be a, him with his wheelchair and the beach. You know, he's got to get lots of mileage. Fucking boosters at this high school are making a lot of money oh, off this year. This is a special yes. edition yearbook this year. That's is. It is most likely to still be relevant twenty years from now. Matt, what do you have for that? I have an American Werewolf in London. Ooh. Okay. As, as more and more filmmakers employ digital effects, practical ones are headed the way of the dodo bird. Right. Pretty much. Yes. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, though, I think this film will become more of almost a museum piece and the high watermark for the old guard of films and how far you can push practical effects and the cinematic artistry that's capable of being achieved when you use practical effects. And I think you're going to have some film nerds that still do watch this and go, man, you know what? There's something to what they did there. And yeah, I think that's going to I still I think it's going to be relevant. I think it will come back around and around again and again to inspire younger filmmakers. What do you have for this one? It's funny because it, it kind of goes in line with what we talked about, you know, uh, the films at the end, the ones that would, would kind of stay and, and last and rewatchable and stuff. But my film that would still be relevant 20 years from now is My Bloody Valentine. Oh, awesome. It's a, it's a classic slasher. It has elements that could be remade today, which, you know, we kind of saw and uh, with, with My Bloody Valentine 3D. And it would still have the same impact that it had in 1981. I just wow. think it's, it's, it's a classic. So, you know... You had the 3D version come out. I think 20 years from now, we could remake it again, and it would still be impactful. Dude, you know, it would still so be it's 40 years film. old now, so 60 years. Who would thought 60 years that that film's still going to be kicking, you're thinking? Wow. Uh, yeah, I think That's so. That's awesome. That's great. I yeah. think so. So our last category, Matt, in our yearbook here for the class of 81 is 
most deserving of being slashed. Okay, I have a slight cheat, but I, I it's justified. Okay, it's let's a hear it. It's a tie between Etienne and Steven from Happy Birthday to Me. Ah, <laughs> that's funny. These two <laughs> scarf-wearing scumbags <laughs> that get their just desserts, Mike, okay? Yes. Etienne, yeah. Etienne is supposed to be Bernadette's boyfriend, right? Yes, yep. She's the one that gets off in the beginning with the, you know, the old mm-hmm. woman and her dog and, and, the, and, very, and a very much a, a, um, a giallo-type death, right? Yes. So while the gang is waiting for her to arrive at the tavern, he starts molesting Anne in front of everyone. <laughs> He's kissing her neck, massaging her chin, nibbling on her ear. It's, it's pornographic, for God's sakes. It really is, yeah. Then after playing chicken on the bridge, he's creeping around Virginia's house, even goes into her room and spies on her as she gets ready for her bath. Yes. And he steals her underwear and uses them <laughs> as his good luck charm to win the dirt bike race the next day. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she tells him he's got a lot of nerve and he says, That's not all I got. Want to see? Yeah, what Jesus a fucking Christ. Creep. He wants to show Virginia his fucking croissant, you know? <laughs> he was sexually harassing Anne at the bar, all of this in 12 hours, and his actual girlfriend is missing. Yes. He's he a creep, even Mike. Care. He's a womanizer, a stalker, a potential deadbeat abusive future husband. Thankfully, he finds himself in real big trouble, Mike. Get the pun there. <laughs> I got it. I got it. That'll scarf teach you to wear that scarf all the time. Face it. You got what you deserved, <laughs> you pompous, entitled asshole. <laughs> now, Steven, I got a bone to pick with you, too. First, you try to calm an arguing Rudy and Maggie by telling them to kiss and make up, and then you make out with Maggie right in front of Rudy. <laughs> As if that's not enough, you then start dating Maggie. But that's still not enough for you. No. You trade her in later like she's last year's model, and you want an upgrade. You tell Rudy, do me a favor. Go dance with Maggie. She's driving me nuts. Then you hop on the Virginia train. You suggest leaving the dance to go have a better time. When you get deep-throated by that shish kebab, it's a mercy killing, you dick. (laughs) So what do you got, Mike? Who... Mike, I keep saying Mike. Who the fuck? Who is most deserving of being slashed in your in your yearbook, Mike? In this you said it. It's ATN from Happy Birthday to yes. Me. I just I just said what a creep, dude. He's sneaking up at girl on his on girls in the woods and then doing the <laughs> peeping tom thing while stealing their dirty underwear that he hid in his, his you know his motorbike getup. Yes. Um. Yeah. He just deserved that scarf. You know the scarf in the in the in the motorbike wheel. You know. He that's just, that's one one death that was well deserved. We oui, we oui. here here. That's it. Yeah. So there you go, Matt. The class of '81. And man, our yearbook I'm sad is to see close. it end, man. I know, I know. What year will we do next, Matt? Who knows? Oh, we are not going to even go there yet. So um, we're not. We're not. Yeah. We're, we're going to enjoy this one. You guys can purchase this yearbook. No kidding. Um, <laughs> I purchased this yearbook, man. Listen to this episode. We have a lot. Of, we have so much fun getting these episodes ready, and um, hopefully you enjoyed this. No, I hope you did too. Yeah, this was super fun. I love and doing these. Dive into yeah, dive into the into the year night that was 1981, and you will find beyond these five films, which are all gems, honestly, in our book. Um, Absolutely, there are many more to be had. So um, many more. Yes, there's so much, so much to to do. You know, so many years, so many great films, and we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. So this was fun, Matt. And it's Thanksgiving week, right? So. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Mike, and all of our listeners and all of our uh, Patreon subscribers and everybody who just even just looks at a post one time while you're scrolling past us. Any, all of you, happy Thanksgiving. Seriously, stay safe. We love all you guys. Yeah. 
Make that drink too. Make that. Oh, uh, make drink, that drink. drink of the pod. Yes. And uh, Matt, you gonna leave us with something? Of course. Oh, love it. If you find yourself alone in the dark, don't lose heart. It could be a lot worse. You could be, you could just be an unhinged teenager with daddy issues who kills all of her friends while masquerading as your best friend. Because said best friend's mother slept with your unfaithful father and never let him forget what an irresponsible wretch he really was. Or you could just be the son of a minor who saw his daddy getting pickaxed as a little boy, and now your daddy issues have turned you into one bad minor <laughs> motherfucker. Or you could just be a mongoloid man-child forced to wear a bag over your head and violently kill people to feel better about yourself. Or... <laughs> You could just be forced to behead the love of your life with a shovel after you've already buried her because she's been possessed by an ancient demon. Or, Mike, you could just be feeling bad about not heeding the advice of weird English country folk warning you to stay to the road. Stick to the road and stay off the friggin' moors. And now your best pal has been killed. He still wants to be your best pal, but, well, the only way he can do that is to show up in a hor- horrifically mauled forms of rapid deterioration to tell you that you should kill yourself. See? <laughs> The dark isn't all that bad now, is it? And if you fit any of the above criteria, then the dark is certainly the very least of your problems. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Love you guys.